Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 192nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows what Wizards is going to do before Wizards does. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. Glad to be here one evening early this week. Uh, James, anything particularly interesting happen with you this week by chance? <laughs> it has been a very busy week. Just, you know, just when we thought that MDG Finance could, might be boring for the rest of the year. Nope. New formats, new fights. Busy, busy. It is quite the shakeup. All right, well, we'll get to that a little later. Um, our show is sponsored, produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff, Inc, where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in magic, the gathering singles, sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code finance five during checkout at coolstuffinc.com. They say 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week? This week, we have a show in four parts. Segment one are top movers. Uh, this is where we talk about all the cards that moved in price because of Pioneer. It's literally just Pioneer. Segment two, cards to watch. The cards, James, the Pioneer cards, James and I think have a positive outlook. <laughs> segment three, our metagame week in review. We talk about the Pioneer results. And segment four, topic of the week, we talk about Pioneer and people getting angry about Pioneer being public public information before it was officially Pioneer. I mean, let's, let's uh, just keep segment four simple. I do drop off bags of cash at Watsy and they send me secret messages on the regs. Oh, good. We don't have to have that conversation. I'm going to bed early then. Simple enough. Uh, segment one, our top movers. I'm going to let you get us started this week. All right. Uh, let's see what we're dealing with. As you said, a massive pile <clears throat> of Pioneer cards for the most part. Um, a lot of this stuff is the follow-on to... The cards that people thought were super, super obvious, now we're dealing with just the super obvious cards. And now we're starting to get results coming in. You know, uh, pros were brewing and experimenting with decks pretty much within 24 hours of the announcement. And uh, I think it was on Thursday they were able to start playing on Magic Online. And then streamers were throwing up 5-0 lists left, right, and center. And Goldfish launched their Pioneer information today. Uh, we got the first league results and the first Pioneer Challenge results from Sunday afternoon. So tons of information to go through. I think the the, the top-down view is that Pioneer seems very likely to take hold. Um, this is not like Brawl. This is not like Frontier. This is Wizard saying, Modern's got problems. We're going to slowly phase it out. It's going to turn into Legacy. Legacy turns into... a shadow <laughs> that only the people that already own legacy decks care about because nobody's going to be reaching out only to that, get into that format um, only that kid from sixth sense can see legacy <laughs> yeah and the interesting thing here is that 
we talked about this a little bit la- last week about how because Pioneer starts with such a large number of sets, something close to 30 to start with, it's already, you know, somewhere far down the spectrum from standard and not quite modern. And how it's not going to have the same problems as modern because the problem cards have been excised. It's going to have a new set of problem cards. The most obvious uh, candidate so far being Oko. Um, and it's going to be very interesting, I think, a year to two years down the road when both formats are very similar to each other in terms of this is a semi-eternal competitive format with a whole bunch of sets involved. And it just so happens that one of them has these sets and the other one has these sets. But as time goes on, they tend they, they, those formats are going to converge, which is one of the better arguments for why modern may just be faded out completely. Because five or ten years out, they would be nearly indistinguishable. Modern, of course, would still have Tron lands and, and Mox Opals, etc. if they don't catch any bans in that format. And I do think that there's a likelihood that Wizards will put the brakes on bands for Modern during its sunset years um, because they're not as concerned with needing to lean on it as the semi-eternal competitive format now that they have Pioneer. But it's also possible that Pioneer ends up more broken than Modern or equally broken alongside Modern, in which case you could have two versions of Modern, neither of which are really working, and you end up having to start thinking about is there something wrong with our approach to format design? <laughs> uh, and I think the answer to that is probably a yes. Um, I, I have a running argument that I'm building steam on that I may turn into an article about how the play design team doesn't have the resources um, or the methodology to really design formats. Whether, well, whether it- or not it's better to let the players figure it out there's that old chestnut or they just aren't getting the job done the result is that formats are being cranked out that are unpredictable and that often means that they end up broken requiring bans that they try to put off as long as they can which pushes players away from the format and then there's a rebound effect when they finally ban the card in question all of which is just chaos, and MGG Finance is going to thrive in an environment of chaos because, you know, in a situation like they announced for Pioneer, as we said last week, if there's going to be a staggered set of bands whenever they feel like it, then you're going to see cards rise and fall in a hurry. Yeah, if uh, I mean, if you were watching some of the discourse today, the question is, uh, Finkel kind of picked this fight earlier, um, that it's he wasn't picking the fight specifically about formats, but his point was it's Planeswalkers. Planeswalkers are inherently a problematic card type. Uh, and there was a whole bunch of back and forth between him and uh, Patrick Sullivan, who's a very talented game designer, very knowledgeable um, and a couple other people. So so an interesting conversation there. I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, Wizards is fine having formats that have an ebb and an, an ebb and flow to them. Uh, you know, if you look at if you try and pick a, a quote unquote a good eternal format, I think the best you're gonna get is like legacy or vintage. You know, because those aren't 
experiencing upheaval constantly due to overpowered cards screwing the format up, but is there's so little turnover in those, they might not have what Wizards wants. Um, you know, yes, you can buy your legacy deck and play it for years, but uh, that's kind of counterproductive as far as Wizards is concerned. So, you know, it's possible that it's a feature, not a bug. Well, and people have argued that cards like Narset are just have upset the Apple cart in vintage because play design doesn't give a shit about that format. And so cards are going to getting printed that are just insanely good in these, yeah. in these older niche formats. And <clears throat> one of the other arguments I saw uh, <clears throat> advanced today on Twitter was um, Ari Lax and Kelly Diggs talking about um, whether the London Mulligan was a big part of the problem um, mm-hmm. in that decks that, can leverage the additional consistency become additionally problematic um you know in situations where you can oh you know if you have eight to twelve mana elves or whatever you can mulligan into oko plus elf pretty easily and then oko drops on turn two pretty reliably and then your aggro decks are just absolutely wrecked because Oko goes up to a ridiculous amount of loyalty. He's got at least one food hanging out. And you're going to need to three to three for one that card to get back to parity. And by that point, you just completely lost your uh, momentum as an aggro yep. deck. And <clears throat> it's interesting. I think that this entire year's worth of Planeswalkers are going to be looked back on as being the most problematic ever. And I suspect that Planeswalkers that are being currently designed for like sets a year from january are going to be pulled back i think you might see less of them or see them back at a level closer to we had four or five years ago where they were less relevant and it's important to understand what happened here wizards decide i think this was a top-down approach from marketing right they decided that to broaden the appeal of the brand you needed more and more players you needed more people to connect with the concept of the planeswalkers to be able to imprint themselves <clears throat> over top of them and view them like superheroes. And part of the marketing logic would be you really want those planeswalkers to be playable. And so you see that in the last year's worth of sets where there are just an insane amount of broken planeswalkers. The majority of the best planeswalkers of all time are all from 2019. Narset part of, Vail, of the Veil, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria was in 2018, but this year you also have <clears throat> Teferi, Time Raveler, um, you have Oko, Royal Scions is no slouch either, and... Royal Scions would be like a ridiculous Planeswalker in any format that wasn't flanked by all of the Planeswalkers we've gotten this year. Yeah, and you have uh, Nisa Who Shakes the World. Um, being super busted and people were actually talking about like is that the solution to the Oko problem like do you just get rid of Nisa so those decks top end isn't as good Um, so okay yeah you got to fight through your Oko but you don't have to worry about then you've wasted all these resources dealing with Oko and now they drop Nisa and it's all over Um, so I suspect they are going to fix the problem (laughs) but the problem is I suspect that in Theros and Ikoria the problem is not fixed I'm willing to bet you there's going to be busted-ass Planeswalkers in those sets, too. Mm, it's possible. I I, uh, 
because I think they they were all designed in the same era. Like it's all part of the same philosophy being doled out that we saw started in war. And and, right. and echoed in Modern Horizons too. Like all those sets were designed around, you know, in the same time frame ish, you know, within 6 to 9 months of each other and Renin 6, of course, I didn't mention but <laughs> definitely in the top 5 of all time, I think. And interestingly, almost all underestimated. It shows that magic players really don't understand the casting cost to ability to power level um, ratios for planeswalkers because Renin 6 was underestimated. Narset Parter of Veils was underestimated. Teferi Time Raveler was underestimated. Royal Scions is just now people are starting to catch on that the card might be better than they thought. Um, Oko, completely underestimated. Go back and mm-hmm. look at comments about Oko from the first day. People were dubious it would even see play in standard. Yeah, I uh, I was on that on that too. I didn't think he was that good. Um, I, you know, I and I I have said before that uh, it's <clears throat> it is very difficult to do this. And even knowing that we're bad at estimating the value of planeswalkers, we still get it wrong all the time. Uh, it's just it's very difficult to piece that together because there's so many moving parts that you really have to put the cards of the table before you're going, Oh, okay. Like I could, you know, it's hard to see the play pattern until you, you cast a card and you're like, oh, I see now I see the problem. And, and Oko is interesting because it's a tweakable card. Like that's what play design is there for. And time mm-hmm. and to fairy time raveler and Narset, you can make all the same arguments and you have to start wondering whether play design actually does their job. Tables recommendations for the most reasonable version of these cards and gets overruled because they want the cards to help sell the set. So they, they go with the, you know, they end up saying, okay, <clears throat> here's weak version. Here's strong version. Which one are we going to do? Strong version is going to sell more boxes. Let's, let's go with strong version. And I think there's so much egg on their face from 2019 that we, we will see stuff starting maybe as early as Zendikar next year, maybe even the summer set. Um, they'll rein it in they ha- they have to you you can't keep banning banner mythics <laughs> yeah that that's a problem is that you know you can say oh we're going to push the power level of these cards uh so that people can play their standard you know the planeswalkers kind of become the face of magic but when that begins ruining magic over and over and over again you have to ban your best cards that's counterproductive at that point um it's yeah it, it, but all of this still comes back to the fact that we're mostly talking about the planeswalkers here. I don't think that it's a a format issue so much as it's a planeswalker issue. Because uh, modern was, I feel like pretty much fine until planeswalkers really started getting pushed. Right, like they banned Jason. Oh, Jace, when Modern was created, Jace was banned, I believe, right? And I don't think Planeswalkers took off in Modern until Liliana the Veil. And even then, that was not a problem. For a long in time, fact, for a long time, Liliana was basically the only Planeswalker seeing significant play. And uh, they have not banned any Planeswalkers in that format. Right? They've unbanned Jace, but I don't think they've banned a single one, right? 
Nothing I can so, But now we have a couple that are like, you know, either in serious consideration or like, you know, cl- you know, adjacent to the conversation. So it's sort of like you really see how it's been ramped up recently and how it's kind of maybe a planeswalker issue more than anything else. Part of how I think you solve this is you come back to that top-down marketing approach. I don't think that the planeswalkers have to be the only characters you care about. Um, and I actually think that magic is more interesting if they increase the presence of the non-planeswalker characters who have more at stake. Like, they're not writing any good stories about magic. In fact, the last couple are terrible. Um, like most of the story work around it has been very bad. Um, extremely mediocre, kind of like dialed in work that I doubt the people that wrote it take very much pride in. There's a, there's a takedown video for the Throne of Eldraine one that a gentleman whose name escapes me uh, put up for TCG that is one of the better uh, pieces of sly magic comedy of all time, in my opinion, um, that I encourage people to go watch, where he kind of like goes through the entire narrative of Eldraine and then deconstructs it and it's quite amusing um and i think that the stories you know they they did the whole thing with the mending the cataclysm that took away this like the superman level powers so that they were supposed to be more stakes and that's a good clue in the right direction like you can you can go further with that you can say that you know here is character x who is a mortal who cannot jump planes without assistance um and this is their interaction with the planeswalkers and how they get pulled into the whole thing and you know when we when that netflix show hits which i'm assuming is happening next year um i wouldn't be surprised if that was the approach they could just do the gay watch straight up like we saw chandra art but i would hope that their interactions with real people are not just you know they're not all just npcs where you go in and buy something and leave like, so you think it's about like some, you know, 17 year old high school kid who like interacts with the famous planeswalker, the Gatewatch, and it's sort of like a hero story ish, but the planeswalkers aren't the main character of the story. It's some human. I, I would like the initial scene to be some random kid in a farmer's field who gets caught in the middle of a ridiculous planeswalker battle, because I think that seeing super one of the best things that worked the best in the recent superman movies was the you know the viewpoint of people on the ground like how astonishing amazing things are from the perspective of the of the average person and if you come from the other direction and it's from the point of view of a gatewatch member then the stakes aren't as high it doesn't seem as real um they are those characters, the Planeswalkers, are extremely rare, and their power level is off the charts compared to the normal folk. And so the, the way they interact with the worlds that they jump to, I think, matters. And it's something that, like, you know, Avatar, The Last Willbender, gets. Like, it's part of why that series works. And I'm curious to see where the showrunners will go with this one. Um this is way off topic. <laughs> well, not really. It's it's about it's about because I think people need to understand where two powerful planeswalkers come from. It's possible it's not play design's fault. It's possible that marketing is shoving that down their throats. 
I mean, it's off topic in the sense that this is not discussing Hero of Dominaria's price change from 21 to $35. <laughs> and, and we do have some time limits, so let, let's catch up on that. <laughs> let me blow, blow through a ton of Pioneer specs here. Teferi Hero Dominaria from uh, Dominaria, uh, going from 21 to 35, uh, 67% gain. This is people assuming that blue-white control will want to run some number of these, um, likely alongside Teferi Time Raveler. They also get access to Sphinx's Revelation and Supreme Verdict um, and Dovin's Veto, all of which is a pretty nice set of blue-white control spells. Um, the question is, what does the future version of the format look like, and therefore what is the configuration of control that will work best? Does it need another color? Red, maybe, for Jeskai, or black for Esper and Thoughtseize or something? Remains to be seen. Uh, Collected Company, um, feel pretty certain that Collected Company decks will show up in this format so far, although they haven't been a, a major presence in the first week. Um, they're Yeah, they're around, but not really hitting above their weight class yet one of the reasons is that in green decks you don't you're going to be playing oko and you don't necessarily want your company to be hitting okos yeah or, I, or, I will or say that I, I think that collected companies primary issue and frankly the entire format right now is heavily warped around oko which sounds like a uh, duh but i mean like cards and strategies that are actually going to be very potent are just sort of one level removed because why would you play Collected Company when you're playing an Oko deck? Because if you're playing Oko deck, you're playing Goose and you're playing Okos and suddenly your company has less targets and like it really just changes the texture of the deck. And as soon as you change whether or not Oko's available, maybe those decks get insane. Uh, and that's going to be true for a lot of different strategies right now, which is why the ban list updates are going to be so exciting because it'll be like, oh, they kicked Oko out of Pioneer. Well, this is basically a brand new format. We got a second new format in two weeks. <laughs> well, well and this is the thing. It, I'm currently operating on the assumption that Oko will, will be banned not only in Standard, but also Pioneer and also is at threat for Modern and that Wizards may just rip the Band-Aid off all at once, say Oka was a big mistake, maybe offer some form of compensation. That gets very tricky and expensive really fast, so they definitely don't mm-hmm. like to do that stuff. But keep in mind, <coughs> they did send people a bunch of foil uh, sheets earlier this year, so some nod to this, maybe in the form of arena codes or something, is not, uh, you know, send us your Okos and we'll send you arena codes. It's not that crazy. That could happen. Um, did you uh, did you catch that Sam Black on Twitter today said he's like I can't he's like I'm surprised people are still trying to argue that Oko isn't the best Planeswalker ever printed yeah which is kind of crazy you're like really Oko is the best Planeswalker ever printed but it, like what it was it he was in like seven you know 16 out of 18 mcq lists and he so it was in seven out of eight challenger deck lists and like that you they someone ran through like ogo's accomplishments in the last like six days I, and it was just unreal well i think one of the most potent facts was that he uh top eight or won stand oh, standard legacy, pioneer standard. modern legacy and vintage events yeah so i mean that's just yeah. you know no other by that measure alone, no other Planeswalker has done that. So, at the same time. So, I, I, like I said, chaos benefits MTG Finance. <laughs> we told people to get uh, Extended Art Okos a couple weeks back. That was the correct choice. You had a great chance to out them if you're clinging to them. Um, don't clutch your pearls. Sell them while you can. 
And then you, you're probably after it's at least getting banned in standard. I, I will be so surprised if they don't. Um, and if they go the other way and like kill something like Nisa or Gilded Goose or something to try to fix it, then that's one thing. But I suspect that the, the stats coming out of the Pro Tour are going to be really, really nasty. Like I, 50, 60, 70% Oko decks. So this actually raises the question. Um, Oko is going to go down as the best Planeswalker in history. He will probably end 2020 not legal in Standard, not legal in Pioneer, at least. Maybe legal in Modern. Given that he's going to be essentially and arguably the best Planeswalker ever made, but banned in two formats, how much do we like foil extended art copies? And the comparison here is Jace, who had pack foils at like $600 for World Waker, some nonsense, because that was the best thing you could get, uh, even though he was banned in like every format. I think the smart money is on selling your Okos. And part of it is just the chilling effect of potential bans. People are going to, prices are going to retrace anytime a card seems under threat. So you don't want to get caught behind the fear wall. You want to take your profits. Because if you got in early on Oko, um, you know, whether it was extended arts or extended art foils or whatever, and you can get out, you know, maybe you can trade them out or whatever, then you can, you'll be in a, a solid position to move in on the next thing that is inevitably, inevitably going to show up in standard or pioneer or modern when Oko takes the fall. And because, as we said, there's going to be all these opportunities. Now, let's say that you just had four extended art Okos for personal use. That's fine. Because you're still going to, if it gets banned in Standard and Pioneer, but not Modern and EDH, you'll find a use. And and the thing about the extended arts in particular is that they are, even though those ones come in regular booster packs, they're still extremely rare. And if Oko gets banned in Standard... People are going to be very reluctant to buy Eldraine booster packs. The yeah, that's going to be rough. And, and stores issue... are going to be reluctant to crack boxes of Eldraine because you don't have the high end to hit anymore. Yeah, that that's that's actually really rough for Eldraine. Is that <laughs> banning Oko gets rid of any reason to Oko Eldraine packs? The problem that I'm having is I picked up a couple extended art foil Okos. Um, I paid like one twenty five for them, which was a pretty good price. And it was like, okay, these are, we, after we talked about how rare that particular card type is, uh, even though it's in the packs, it's still very, very rare. I'm like the planeswalkers seen a lot of play. It's very good. And I think it's going to hit 180, $200. Well, now it's, it's too good. Yeah. It's like, well, this definitely would have matured to $200 if it wasn't getting the ax in the biggest two formats. It's like so and right now the TC Jalo is like 150. Yeah. So even if I can sell it at 150, I'm lucky to walk away even. So it's like do I sell it at 150 and just try and get out without losing my shirt or do I hold on knowing that he's probably getting banned in standard and maybe pioneer and maybe modern? I I, but that being the best planeswalker of all time and having this promo will still buoy his price. Here's what I think is going to happen. It's going to fall another 20 to $40 because people are going to start panic undercutting each other. Nobody really has that many of these. Like there's a steep ramp on it from 148 up to 200 plus uh, up to yeah. 275. And nobody has more than two copies because they're just they are extremely rare as per the stats that I published recently. 
even though borderless don't aren't exclusive to collector boosters, they still appear very, very infrequently. So, um, but I think people are going to start uh, downstepping each other on TCG. It's going to go down three bucks at a time every few hours for the next several days and it's going to end up lower. So I think if you could trade out at 150 or 160 into something that you think is rock solid, then you'll get, you might get it. If you just want to have them, you could probably pick them up 15, 20, $25 cheaper later. If there's a ban that goes down November 17th is the next uh, ban. So you got three weeks basically, then they might get even lower on the ban. And you get a chance to get back in if you still think you want to own those long term. If you, and then you've got more information to work with because by that point they might be calling for his head in Pioneer as well, which would certainly influence you. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, <sighs> I just got in my foil Hogax from July this week. <laughs> Not all of them, but a small pile of them that were stuck in Europe for a while because I didn't bother to put, get get my partner there to pack everything up. Now, most of what came in that package was time, uh, in like, didn't matter. wasn't time sensitive. And it actually, some of that stuff may have matured uh, in the interim. But I did pull out six foil hogax that I intelligently bought at like 14 or 15 or something early on that did, are just paperweights, I suppose. Like, I don't know what you do with a foil hogak at this point. You, uh... <laughs> You hope it gets good somewhere? I guess you can play it in EDH. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's mediocre. Yeah, so anyway, the same thing is going to happen to me with a bunch of my Okos. Because I bought all sorts of Okos, but I don't have any of them at my desk. So I'm along on this ride for at least another week, whether I like it or not. Uh, Well, I have like four of them, and I'm not locked into this ride. So, I mean, the question is what to do with them. If you could, but I'm not going to be. I'm not going to my store to trade them. That's not going to happen. Sure, but you could trade in our forums, for instance. You could try to trade out, out to something sweet. <laughs> our Discord. Hey, hey, you MTG Price Pro Trader, who we're telling to get rid of uh, Okos. Do you want to trade for my Okos? So, some people will anyway, because it's not like he's dead. Like he's not going to get banned in every single format. And as we heard, he's good in Legacy and Vintage as well. So, given enough time, the the extended art foil Okos will drain because yeah. Yeah. Especially if he gets banned in standard, it's going to put a chilling effect on how much Eldrain gets printed and Eldrain will be, end up being an underopened set versus what it's supposed to be for the fall set. And that will help prop up this rarest version of Oko. Although the Russian foil version is probably still rare, I think, but nevertheless. <laughs> okay. So what are we on the second card of our uh, segment one th- here? All right. Let me, let me keep going. Eidolon of the Great Ravel, uh, Essential in Red Decks and Pioneer, 6 to $11, 88% gain. Voice of Resurgence, people are figuring, will be good against the control build, especially if there's a collected company build. 7.5 to 14, 87%. Hazard the Fervent is likely the top end of the Red Decks. I think this is likely a sell since it's only a one of. Uh, 3 to 5.50. It's also could easily catch a reprint somewhere along the way here. Uh, Thoughtseize likewise is uh, due for a reprint not in the not too distant future I would imagine um, Theros version is going from 1450 to 28 says sell 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 to me that's up 93% Hangerback Walker is oh, wait be... wait wait you think Theros is a sell at 30 huh Thoughtseize Thoughtseize is a sell at 30 yeah I don't know I don't know the supply right now is I mean it definitely jumped the supply right now is is quite low 
And everyone who didn't buy Thoughtseizes for Modern now has to get them for Pioneer. Like, I I didn't... I, I, I have not liked cards that were already really good in Modern because I figured that people already owned them. But I'm not completely sold that that's the case across the board. Keep, I think Thoughtseize might it, still be good. If Thoughtseize had not caught the reprint in Iconic Masters, I'd be with you. But there is that... <coughs> there is that inventory as well. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, you're correct that there is, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if that, to, if, to me, if that makes it a sell. It, right now, there is very few listings for Thoughtseize Iconic Masters. It's uh, 12 results. Mm-hmm. However, I think a lot of that inventory is out there waiting to get f- dumped into buy lists. And I think that as buy lists start to catch up to this $30 price point, if they start offering 22 24 26 on the floor at events or whatever, you're going to see Thoughtseizes enter the market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like you're that there's none of them are going to appear. It just it's set up to be a linchpin of the format, essentially the highest level, highest power level card in the format, and it will be the highest level power card in the format once Oko is banned. So it's like, I don't know. Maybe maybe it does have some some room there. Well, and one one mana discard is no joke when you're facing a format full of planeswalkers. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I'm just I, I am not a hundred percent sure that I am on a sell for that card. There was discussion but, there was discussion in the Discord that it's gonna hit forty plus. Yeah. So Yeah, it, and I think we're talking about the same thing, and uh I'm I'm not I'm not sure that that guy's wrong. Like I, I don't think it's a hard sell like I think Oko is. I think that you can start working test the market. If you can get a solid thirty, see if you can get thirty two, see if you can get thirty four as time merges on a little bit. But keep your eye on the number of results. If this goes from 12 to 24 tomorrow, it means the market's filling back in. And we've already seen retraces on several um, uh, Pioneer cards where people got overexcited. And, you know, people were clinging to their Siege Rhinos thinking they were going to get $40 a set. Now they'd be lucky if they got 20 Mm-hmm. Because a lot of those cards that people assumed were, like, were good in Frontier probably aren't good enough for this format, at least in its current incarnation. Anyway. Well, yeah, Siege Rhino was a... Sh- not a great play. Yeah. So Hangerback Walker also up. Uh, it's going to be pivotal four of in the Hardened Scales decks that look set up that uh, to be tier one, tier 1.5. Went from five to 10 bucks. I've got a bunch of those that I bought in at too high. I think mid-teens that I would love to exit on somewhere near what I paid for them. Um, it's pretty funny. Like I, I pulled out a huge, managed to pull together a huge five row of relevant Pioneer cards. I was buying a lot of boxes in this era. And... I'm going to do very well here, but a lot of the doing well isn't going to be making great profit on spec. It's going to be not losing what I thought I had lost. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, it was, uh, that is the case with several of the cards that I have had success with recently. Yeah. Like this, some of this stuff is going to look brilliant, but like I'm just thrilled to be able to unload Etherworks Marvels at any price. Like I buy listed a bunch in today that were like $2 lower than I paid for them in 2017. And I was just like, score. Oh God! Somebody posted a list with "See the Unwritten's." Yep. Oh, please, please. Yep, I've got some of <laughs> please those. Please make too. that good. <laughs> I've got some of those too. So yes, please do something with "See the Unwritten." God, that'd be great. Any of those mythics that are build arounds, if they hit, woo. Um, Sphinx's Revelation critical in the in the control decks. 
getting to play all of these pieces at the same time, the, the Teferi twins, Nisa, um, Sphinx's Revelation and Supreme Verdict and Dovin's Veto is crazy. Um, Mana Confluence, 14 to 30. You could get those at like four bucks at one point. Mm-hmm. That has appreciated very nicely. I still don't think that card's good. <laughs> That's fine. I'm grumpy about it. I don't think that card's good. Uh, do you think that the masterpieces are tempting at this point for Pioneer? I actually went look. I went looking for them today. In all honesty, uh, and everywhere that I would have bought them from, they were sold out. So they're already drying up. I've got a pile of those that I haven't gotten around to buy listing. So I'm going to get paid off on those expedition versions. It's actually one of the best looking expeditions too. So that doesn't hurt. Do you know what you paid for it? Uh, I think my in in Europe on those was somewhere between 60 and 80. I want to say. And now I think you could. And now I'm seeing 11 results between 109 and 150 on. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So you're, you're ahead of the curve. I mean, after sales, you're still not in great shape, but I mean, I like where you are. Well, I mean, if 10 copies sell off TCG, we're up to 140. Yeah. Yeah. And at minimum, these will be tradable in this environment. Yep. Um, But it's also interesting because this is one of those cards where as the format matures and they start to fill in the blanks with some additional dual land cycles, which I think are inevitable. I still say mm-hmm. that that Zendikar set next fall is going to have like pivotal new duels for, for Pioneer. It's going to start to edge some of these shitty things out. Like, there's going to be a bunch of cards that fill slots for the first year that just get knocked out of the format down the road. You don't want to get caught holding long term. Yeah, that could happen. Mana Confluence is sure. still an EDH card, as we've talked about in the past, so it's, I'm not particularly concerned. Um, we've got Spell Queller going from 7 to 15. Going to be a, another great blue-white card. Jace Friends Prodigy, another great mid-range and aura control card going from 20 to 40. That's the Origins version. Real happy to see those go up. All of the lands from Kaladesh, the fast lands, Inspiring Vantage, Vantage Concealed Courtyard, um, Blooming Marsh, uh, Spire Bluff Canals, all going up like 100% plus. Felidar Guardians from $1 to $2.25. Uh, I buy listed 16 foils for a, almost a triple up today. Um, real happy to get those out of my hands because that deck is definitely not going to survive. Wait, you don't think Cat's uh, going to survive? Nope, going to get banned. I I don't know if I agree with you. At this point in time, I don't think Wizards has any reason to ban Cat. Uh, they might, but I don't think they have a reason to. I just don't think that it's it's not doing enough to be worth banning right now. That deck is top it's, three in Frontier. It gets better. <laughs> it's better with Oko than it was before. Um, and you can play all of it together in a Niv-Mizzet uh, Reborn package and run Bring to Light and just do all sorts of... Be coming at everything from 17 different angles. <laughs> I mean, it's it's possible that down the road, it still ends up being too good. But I don't think at this point in time, there's enough evidence to ban that card it, at all. Um, the thing is, it's, it's, it is a firmly turned for combo that has a planeswalker that can be interacted with on the stack even um and the the four mana creature that's kind of crummy like it's just so much worse than the old splinter twin list and it's um like you have to have something be good 
and something be the sort of pace car for the format. And it doesn't seem like it's the worst pace car. Like, yes, it's very good, but it might be fine being the thing that defines how the rest of the format has to play. I I can see you could be right. But my spec theory crafting on Frontier is assume these things are banned and then operate accordingly. I'm not going to turn down a triple to go for a quad instead of just having that the funds from that triple on hand to buy the stuff that becomes relevant the day after they ban something. Well, yeah, I mean, that's really the other side was I'm talking about, like, will they, won't they not? Is it financially prudent to make a decision based on this? Like, it, you're probably just supposed to sell all this crap. Yeah. And reload for whatever's next. Braska Golgari Queen took off because Sultai Midrange took down the uh, first Pioneer Challenge on MTGO. And it was featuring two copies of Raska, I believe. So 9 to 22 on that. Um, there is a Mythic Edition version of Raska that people should now be turning their attention to on that basis. Mm-hmm. Um, Oath of Nisa looks very well positioned. Whether or not Oko survives, it's, it's certainly the, the prospects for Oath of Nisa are better with Oko around. But... It doesn't matter because Oath of Nisa is just going to... If they get rid of Oko and there's a bunch of other good Planeswalkers coming uh, in Q1, Q2, 2020, um, Pioneer players will still find reasons to need Oath of Nissa. Mana fixes and goes and finds a card. It's it's a good uh, single green mana uh, smoother effect uh, in a format that doesn't have very many. <laughs> it's basically this well, yeah, and once upon a time, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the bigger takeaways with um, Oath and Nissa is that even if Oko is banned, the format and the mod in the format still sucks. There's still a bunch of good planeswalkers. You're going to need some way to cast those planeswalkers, and Oath of Nissa helps you do that. And in a format with mana this rough, it you know it's a mini impulse plus it, it helps you with your mana. Rampage Frostedon at Ixalan going from two to five dollars, hundred and fifty percent gain. It's going to be a feature in most of the red decks. Uh, Master of Waves going from two to five dollars, hundred fifty percent gain. Um, these are those situations we always say we hate, and that means you're looking at buy lists. Hopefully, you have a bunch of copies, either because you were dumb and didn't sell them earlier, or you were ear to the ground and got them early on in the Pioneer announcement cycle. Uh, we've got Atarka's Command two twenty five to six. Uh, anybody who played in the Jeskai Black era of standard remembers that the uh, red decks that splashed green for Targa's command were extremely powerful. And I suspect that with Oko in the format, they're going to be a little worse, but they're still going to be playable. Um, and you'll see plenty of people dragging them out to F and M. Uh, Abrupt decay is probably, I've heard multiple pros, uh, including one of the guys I was watching on Twitch that finished top four in the challenge yesterday, uh, say that abrupt decay is the best kill spell in the format, not fatal push. Um, and it going from 3 to $8 is therefore no surprise. The other version of Jace is the FTV foil version, which most people would say is ugly, but it didn't stop it from going 21 to 60 for 185% gains. Um, I think Jace is less likely than other things because he's a flip card to get reprinted somewhere in the near future. So I'm willing to let my Jaces ride a little further. Like I've sent out some feelers to see if I can get nibbles on some of my more expensive Jaces, but... I'm not in a huge rush to unload them. Uh, he's He's been really all over the results so far in Pioneer, heavily played. Uh, in fact, I don't have it up in front of me, but um, I like his trajectory, especially because I don't see him getting banned. 
which means that, you know, when the dust settles, he's still going to be in good shape. One of the arguments I've heard is that he's better in mid-range decks with creatures than he is in control decks. Because in control decks, one of the features is if you don't have any early creatures, then you basically dead their fatal pushes, etc. And wild slashes and so forth. Um, whereas if you run a Jace into that, then you just you let them get use their card. Um, whereas in the mm-hmm. mid-range decks, if they kill the Jace, they might be facing Tireless Tracker next turn or whatever. Um, so... Uh, bottom line, it was just not quite good enough to be played in modern for the most part, like was on the fringes of some of the control builds in modern. Um, but I suspect it's going to survive. It'll be around in pioneer for a year or two until the format maybe edges it out again over time. Like, I think he's, he's not quite modern caliber or maybe it's a meta thing more than anything else, but it's possible that the, the pioneer meta is more friendly to this kind of creature. Okay. Uh, Botanical Sanctum, again, was one of the Kaladesh lands going three to nine. I bought all sorts of foils and non-foils early on here. I already had a whole bunch of them, including a stack of Russian ones from Russian boxes I cracked for Kaladesh. Um, so my my Pioneer deck is looking like it's going to be pretty blinged out. Um, I am pretty excited about that place out of foil Russian Spire Bluff canals I bought. Oh. Nice. Just because they were looking, they were looking pretty good in modern as it was, and then Pioneer came along. I'm like, ooh, that's fun. Yeah, I think I tried to. I bought some on maybe two or three of those the other day on Card Market at a pretty reasonable price, <coughs> but there's very, very few left out there. Um, Traverse the Ulvenwald out of Shadows over Innistrad, a dollar fifty to five. Looks like it's probably a pretty solid buy list play. Um, decks that do some amount of graveyard harvesting in Sultai midrange seem very likely and Traverse seems to play a role there. Here we go. One of the only cards on the list that has nothing to do with Pioneer, Trade Roots out of Marcadian Masks going $1.50 to $5 on the basis of EDH use, card that hasn't been in print for a while. Um, Blooming Marsh. I'm excited about that one. Sorry? I'm excited about that one. You have a bunch of those? I do. Nice. I do. From, uh, I think I was trying to make Dakmore salvage work. Okay. <laughs> and I, I don't, so I bought a stack of those. I'm not claiming it was the greatest decision, but I did it. I've got, and it seems to be paying me off now. I definitely have a stack, huge stack of $1 Just Guy sentences in front of me that I'm staring at right now that I know I bought for some silly reason that's now paying off randomly. Um, Blooming Marsh and Torrential Gear Hulk, 350 to 11. Um, we were saying, I think, last week that Gearhulk wasn't, uh, maybe wasn't fast enough for this format, but I've seen it show up. Uh, so obviously, players that know better than me um, have established that it's uh, completely playable. Well, who's the question is who's playing it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's still it's still probably gonna be fine. It's just not the type of thing that we would necessarily want to spec on. Well, it's a mythic that still sees significant play at EDH. So if it's now dual format, I mean, that's one of the great things about Pioneers. A lot of these cards that are also already were kind of like commander specs now get another, a new hot format that helps boost their price. Now, if Torrential Gearhulk ends up in those mystery boosters, then that's going to hurt. But it's a mythic. So you have to, part of it depends on how big that, if, if it is a cube draft type scenario, like I think it is, part of it depends on how big is the cube. Because if it's three times the, the size of a normal set, 
then the mythics are three times as rare. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes. <coughs> I'll tell you what, I'm going to have several carts ready to go when we get that news from our people on the floor at Richmond on November 7th. Because what's in the mystery boosters is a is one of the more important questions to answer this fall. And it's uh, we got some news on that, actually. Um, because I know we were all pretty confident it was like, oh, this is how they're injecting Pioneer into the format. Or, you know, to add a bunch of new cards uh, to really squash MTG Finance nonsense with this new format. Uh, we talked quite a bit about it, and Wizards revealed that it's EDH-related. No. Um, they're doing a, Well, they're doing the announcement with Jimmy and John, Josh, on oh, Wednesday. Oh, no, no, no. I think you're confusing things. Foresight said last week on, on the stream where they were talking about stuff that was forthcoming that the mystery boosters are not pioneer related. He said that they were like, it was a good theory, but that it was like two projects passing each other in the night was his exact words. Now, my interpretation of that is that the, the product, the mystery boosters were not designed for pioneer, but if that cube is big enough and includes sets from the, around the same era, I still think there's actually a significant threat of um, the mystery boosters containing a bunch of relevant stuff for pioneer. Now, well, the, now, now the the new announcement, <sighs> the announcement you're referring to, I think, is a completely different product. I, I think we're about to get a new commander product announced. Sheldon Menery has been on contract at Wizards, and Gavin is sitting down with Josh Lee Kwai, uh and Jimmy from the Command Zone. I don't think that has anything to do with Mystery Boosters. I think that is a brand new commander product that could be some kind of like commander toolkit or commander masters or a new version of commander's arsenal or something. And they actually said products. So I think this is all new stuff. Like, I think this is, they're going to tell us about one or two things that are coming out for commander players in the next few months. Uh, So you think we're going to get pioneer and some sort of cube draft GP product And a new EDH-related product, all in the span of two weeks. Yep. Uh, they, the the <laughs> ulti- I mean, that's a the, lot. The Ultimate Masters was dropped on everybody with like two weeks' notice last year. So, this product could be coming out next quarter, or it could be an end-of-year product and aimed for the holidays. They could have said, "You know what? We we want our holiday product to be." We want it to be something for the commander players because it's commander buying gifts for commander players is probably easier than buying them for uh, competitive players because competitive players, you can basically just buy. You're not going to buy the pieces for the deck they're working on because grandma's not going to go that deep. But if there's a (laughs) if there's a product on the shelf near, you know, near the checkout at Walmart that says commander's arsenal then or commander masters, then maybe grandma tunes in that that's the kind of that's the format you play. I wrote uh, a open letter to friends and relatives thanking them for listening to us, but please don't buy me magic cards for my birthday or Christmas because <laughs> it's essentially wasted money yeah. because you don't they never get the right know thing. what I need. Yeah. So, yeah, I do think that. I think, I think that it's a commander product. Uh, I believe that over on Brainstorm Brewery, uh, DJ was saying that he thought Mystery Boosters was an EDH product. Um, but I think that I still think that's just a cube draft. 
Like it's a it's a whole bunch of cards from Magic's history. It's going to be a cube draft style product, <coughs> uh, which will be very popular at GPs. Um, and I think that it's going to have uh, extended arts or some other premium version of cards in it to like, because that's their MO lately is they want you to come play the command zone section at the GP. They hand out foil soul rings. So I suspect that the mystery boosters is along the same lines. It's going to have some, some bling in there. Well, whatever. There's no point arguing about it. We'll find out soon enough. Yep. November 7th is when is the first draft. So, and we're going to have people on the floor there taking pictures and posting them back to our discord. So it's going to be a busy morning. Okay. All right. So finishing up the massive list of movers this week, we got Heart of Kieran going from a dollar to three dollars. Uh, I'm not confident in that card for the format. I know you've got a big pile on your desk. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck. Um, Rally the Ancestor foils from Fate Reforged from two to seven. I actually do like this deck. I think Rally the Ancestors um, already was great in standard when it was there. It was near busted, and now it gets even more tools to play with and guarantee you play designs not designing around it it's a really unique deck so whatever they end up printing into it that pushes it over the top if it's not now eventually will be a total mistake and the, the deck could just be crazy busted i um i like the idea of rally the ancestors um i'm i every list i've seen for it has been bad and uh, it doesn't show up in but... any of the stuff we're about to go through so yeah. take everything I'm but, saying with a grain of salt on that basis. Yeah, but 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 maybe it's good enough. I don't know. Um, and it's definitely the type of deck I would want to play and I'm interested in. I just haven't seen a reason to like it yet. I, but I definitely went looking at it. I I didn't play Rally in that format. I played against it and lost to it a lot, which is I'm sure is coloring my <laughs> perception of whether, whether Rally can get there. It was also one of the decks that uh, Star City Games played early on in their Pioneer testing. Um, and it did some busted stuff. Uh, Weaver of Lies foils um, from Legions. I picked one of these up for $1 while Ellie was singing karaoke in uh, Conneaut, Ohio in late August. And apparently it's now $28. So that seems like a good win. That's on the back, of, that one of, the, on the back of EDH morph decks. Then we've got Grim Flayers going from 5 to 19. That's a potential 4 of Mythic in Sultai midrange and maybe Jund or uh, Abzan midrange decks, especially post the first round of bannings. Uh, some of the more fair decks will probably get better. Uh, Dig Through oh, Time man. and Treasure Cruise look interesting. They're all over the place. Still good. Not as busted without Feshlands, but are they going to be too good? That's a fun little game of chicken because I'm willing to bet you that Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time probably aren't in Mystery Boosters, even if that is a cube draft, and would be the kind of card like Etherworks Marvel that depends on a certain level of support, so it's not easy to reprint, and especially if you think you might have to ban it, you might not want to reprint it, and Dig Through Time, for instance, got a printing in Ultimate Masters, kind of inexplicably. Um, so... If they don't reprint Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time in the next year, but they don't get banned in Pioneer, their foils especially are going to be quite pricey. It, at the moment, they look good, but not broken. Um, because I think not having access to 
the fetch land slows them down considerably. I also think Dig Through Time is much safer than Treasure Cruise. Treasure Cruise is just Ancestral Regal, and the odds that that's the number of decks that that's better in than Treasure than uh, Dig Through Time is quite high. Um, typically, you're going to want to play like the full four Treasure Cruises before you're playing Dig Through Times, and the ex- exceptions to that rule will probably be infrequent enough that dig through time itself won't be a problem because it'll only be good in some decks but it might be an issue where dig through time is only not busted because treasure cruise is too busted but if you ban treasure cruise dig through time ends up becoming one of the busted cards um i'm not clear but i will say that i think that overall the impact of those cards is considerably less than people might have anticipated at the outset. People thought the you know were like, oh wow, how are we not going to start with those cards banned immediately? Um, and it's been it's been a slower uptake than we might have guessed. So they might end up banned, but it's not the not game breaking immediately. In, in the first round of stats, and we're going to dig into these deeper in a minute. But dig through time is like the thirty fourth most played card, and treasure cruise is not even in the top fifty. So, uh, so far they don't look like a problem. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that wizards won't print something later. That, like, basically, if any mechanic is printed that incidentally throws things in the graveyard, <laughs> and that ends up on one and two mana spells that take the basically end up stalking the graveyard at the same pace that modern can, you're back into the same problem again. Well. Yeah, and I think that's that's what's going to happen is Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise could dodge these reprints or dodge bands. Uh, For a while. That's very viable, but not permanently. Yeah. I think it's going to get to the point where they're going to be uh, an issue. As a bona fide Johnny, I long thought in modern that um, Glimpse the Unthinkable might be the way you're supposed to be stalking your graveyard. That if on turn two you take a turn off to dump ten cards in your own yard, you could do all sorts of crazy stuff with Delve. And I remember when Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise were still legal, I played a deck like that at FNM, and it was surprisingly nasty. <clears throat> we don't have uh, Glimpse the Unthinkable in this format, but we do have Breaking and Entering. Um, and that split card puts eight in the graveyard to fuel Dig Through Time and or Treasure Cruise and other stuff like uh, the delirium cards like Traverse and Grim Flayer, etc. And then if you have some reason to be taking one of the big creatures that you flipped into your graveyard and putting it back in play, then entering uh, can do that. Yeah, it's possible that some of these smaller incidental graveyard fillers will end up supporting a deck that wants to cast Treasure Cruise and dig through time and do some other shenanigans with its graveyard and kind of gets there on that vector but even if that's the case like that's still a pretty specific build which means it's probably not good enough to get banned and nobody else is on this wavelength so let's just assume i'm wrong but i will certainly put it together and throw it together for an fnm and take it for a test ride the um siege rhino 80 cents to four (laughs) dollars hard sell this is going to do nothing in pioneer for a while and then once they ban some broken stuff maybe it's playable but like in the top yeah. top hundred cards list I'm looking for from the first set of data dumps, it's not even in the top hundred. So no, I do not like this card whatsoever. If you can sell trade or buy list these, you sell it right away. Yeah, um, and then you'll you, you 
collapses again and you'll get a chance to buy in later if it actually does something. Um, yeah, pe- the people buying Siege Rhinos are thinking that this is standard plus, not modern minus. Yeah, they've got it wrong. Cowardice uh, at a Mercadian Masks. The foil's going from a dollar to $8 on the back of EDH Play and not seeing a reprint for a long time. And that is it. A massive list of Pioneer cards. Clearly, uh, the format has grabbed the imagination of the player base. I talked to some vendors today um, out of our vendor team. And they were all consistent. They said single sales were way up <clears throat> as mm-hmm. people were buying into the format. And it was counteracting some of the flagging interest in Standard. This is a huge win right now for Wizards. Everyone loves the format. I basically heard no one complaining about it. I've heard them complain about Oko, but nobody's complaining about Pioneer as a format. People are on board. It seems to have scratched exactly the itch it was trying to. Um, I think that's pretty clear this format's here to stay already. Yeah, there's a couple cards above Oko on the problems list so far for this format, but we'll see where things net out in another few weeks. What? What do you think is worse than Oko Tef- in Pioneer right now? Teferi Time Raveler was, uh, is like the seventh most played, sixth most played card, and the only things above it are Thought Seas, Hallowed Fountain, Wild Slash, Fatal Push, and Glacial Fortress. <clears throat> yeah, I I mean Teferi Time Raveler is a pretty busted card. The thing is I don't think he's I don't think he creates worse play patterns in Oko. One of the arguments I think he's actually a more fair card. One of the arguments Ari Lax was making on Twitter today was about Once Upon a Time plus London Mulligan being too good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's but that's more of a London Mulligan thing than a Once Upon a Time thing. I guess uh, if I had this pick a card that I thought was going to be the first card to the ban list in Pioneer, it would probably be Oko. Partly because I think that Wizards, it Oko looks bad, whereas Time Raveler doesn't look bad. Not in the same way. Yeah. So it was more of a target on his head. But um, okay, so cards to watch. You are starting with a card I wrote about this morning. Yeah, and I was going. So we were on the same. I'm glad page. you mentioned it because if you hadn't, I was going to. And but it really was on my list before you wrote it, and I didn't read your article this morning. <laughs> so we're just head in the same place. I was actually telling people last week they were supposed to be buying this in the Discord um, because I I saw some early lists that a week like seven days ago people in the Discord were saying no no Arclight's dead. Um, September 27th or something. I said don't take your eyes off Arclight. It's probably not done yet. Um, but I didn't know about Pioneer at the time. Um, one of one of the many uh, pieces of evidence that suggests that I learned about Pioneer last Saturday, Sunday, like I said I did, <laughs> because I I would have been much more excited about Arclight at the at the time. I was looking at it as a mid to long term play to eventually make its way back into modern um, or show up in standard once it got a couple pieces back. Did not see Pioneer coming for Arclight. Now that it's here, uh. You know, people didn't know whether the lists were there because you don't have faithless looting, etc. But turns out chart the course and strategic planning and so forth can get you there in Pioneer. And it actually took second uh, in the Pioneer Challenge yesterday with Thing in the Ice. So I think uh, you were calling it on that basis this morning. I'll echo it here. $12 Arclight Phoenixes seem like a bargain. It's always a four of when it's played. If it gets there in Pioneer and eventually gets there again in, like, in Modern as well, then... It will be one of those situations where people don't really have to worry about their deck very much, and the deck becomes portable between formats. 
Um, that's a really nice, really, really nice thing to have. Um, and it allows you, you know, like the Japanese uh, pro player that has, is the fairies expert who was playing fairies when nobody else was playing fairies. You can be an Arclight expert across multiple formats and be able to re- reliably show up and do well in the tournament. That's that's big game. Uh, that's going to move copies of the card. Um, and it just came out last fall. So it's past peak supply. Um, it already showed up in a challenge deck or some, challenger deck or something earlier this year, so it's probably not going to be in one this spring, since this doesn't seem to be uh, a relevant deck after all in standard. Um, all of which suggests to me that it's going to be safe for a while. Pioneers taking off. I don't see how this doesn't end up being a twenty to twenty-five dollar card minimum. It definitely started slow. Uh, people were not on <laughs> the ArcLight Phoenix play right, or at least. Even if people wanted it to make it work, it wasn't doing much right away. Um, it took a couple days for it to really catch hold in the format. Uh, it, but we're there now. And I was talking about that in my article this morning that, you know, some stuff was day zero, other stuff was day three or four. Uh, and it looks like, you know, Arclight Phoenix is one of those day four decks. Um, now, interesting. And I, I for, and for what it's worth, I don't think we're done either. I think there are going to be other decks that are day, you know, day 21 day 60 day 180 so there's more to go here uh but it, it, it specifically a specific to arclight phoenix it took people a couple days to figure out the list but now that we're here that card is definitely going to be uh it's going to be in pioneer for a while and you know it's going to keep getting better because wizards will print one mana spells in every set and you only need one of them occasionally to be good and that deck keeps getting better you know there's already a a good amount of power in it so i do like arclight quite a bit right now especially because it seems to have missed the initial frenzy that like uh aetherworks marvel and some of those other cards saw so it was a little slower to the party which means so the buy-in's a little safer it feels like or or you can still buy in it essentially pre-hype prices the only piece of counter intel i have is that in this uh, deck dump stat summary that one of our discord members put together for everybody um, showing the total number of copies across all of the reported decks in the league and the mon- and the pioneer challenge um, arclight wasn't actually heavily played uh, despite having uh, finished second so it's not clear whether that pilot was really good and encountered good matchups or um, you know well remember this guy's this guy's work was very valuable, and I don't I don't have your name in front of me, so I'm sorry, but but it's early. Um, he he dated. Uh, I'm sorry, but it's early. But it's early. Well, that and this is as I believe out of the the five O league, right? Yeah. But those are curated. Yeah. So this gives you like a rough idea, but this is by no means the actual data because there might have been for every. You know, Oko shows up as the 23rd most played card sure. here, but there might have been 40% more Oko decks that didn't get shown, right, than this dump leads us to believe. So maybe Oko is actually really high on the list. So basically the fact that that Arclight Phoenix isn't super high on here doesn't really worry me that much. Well, and actually if I slide over to Goldfish, they've got their first Pioneer metagame posted and they've got Is It Phoenix as the second most played deck. However, that's mm-hmm. at only 2.37% of the metagame. Meta is looking wide open while people are testing. So Meta needs to get more narrow so that we can figure out what rocks and papers and scissors push each other out of the format. The, 
This, by the way, is why I think given what the format looks like right now, we might not see, and uh, God, who knows what I'm going to be saying seven days from now, but after seven days in, I feel like Wizards can't come anywhere close to banning anything right now. Like, you know, it, it's possible that we were going to come out of the gate and like Oka was just going to just be literally everywhere or dig through time and treasure crews were going to be in every deck. Um, but nothing like that has come to fruition. The closest has been like maybe Oko, maybe once upon a time, but like nothing is clearly dominating. And it's, it's going to take so much time for this to kind of level out that I think Wizards probably shouldn't touch this for weeks and weeks. If not, just let it run through 2019, because as the format looks today, I don't think you can justify a single ban. Because even if something looks too good, it's changing so much so fast that that might not be the case in another week. Oh, yeah. And I'm actually expecting a ban in a week for Pioneer. Like I, I, We might not see bans for a month or more. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that the likelihood of a ban is directly linked to the frequency of a card's dominance. If Oko, for instance, takes over and goes up to like 40% of the meta on Pioneer on Magic Online, then you're you're that much closer to him getting banned. If everything stays really like just like uh, distributed like this and you have all these different decks competing and none of them are, you know, more than 5% of the meta, which is not how things are going to stay. It's definitely going to firm up over time. Um, Yeah. But for as long as it stays that way, there's no need, as you said, there's no need to ban anything. Um, for the record, what we're looking at is Simic Ramp, Is It Phoenix, Four Color Copycat, Sultai Midrange, Leaning on Oko, Jeskai Copycat, Mono Black, uh, Vampires, which I'm assuming runs Nykthos too, Jeskai Cop- Copycat, Human, Humans, Bant Spirits, Mono Green Ramp, and Burn, which is a, a pretty re- reasonable looking meta, um, if that's how things shake out. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I wanted to point out, I noticed in the a lot of the lists are running these castles from Eldraine. The mono black lists tend to run four of Castle Lockthwain. Um, I was buying some of those extended arts up recently. I'm not can't remember if it's made it onto the cast as a pick, but call it an honorary pick um, if they're still reasonably priced because I think Lockthwain's going to get there. Well, we haven't. There aren't really that many great utility lands in the format, or at least the available utility lands are different, considerably different than they were in modern. And these were already not bad. Yeah. Episode 189, I called Garen Brig, not Lockthwain, but you, they were inter- interchangeable at the time. And I might've mentioned that the, uh, yeah, I feel like that was the discussion. Yeah. The, in a, in a black aggro deck, that's going to empty his hand quick. Um, Lockthwain has almost no downside. Yep. All right. Let me uh, let me get my first one in the week here. I just want to remind you guys that I wrote an article with three this morning over on mtgprice.com. Read them there. And that's also why I consistently have fewer than James does because I had to write about them like the morning of the, the cast. So I'm on like a five pick a day here. Um, but I like, uh, you know, I was looking at the data dump that that gentleman provided us and I'm seeing fatal push very high. Uh, and right now you can pick up the FNM fatal pushes for around $5, $5.50 maybe, depending on where you're shopping. Um, supply is healthy, right? There are like 72 vendors. Some of these guys have a pile. Channel Fireball's got 20 listed. Uh, but fatal push is, according to this, the fourth most played card at 93 copies. 
um, Thoughtseize is first at 130, Hallowed Fountains of Land. So it goes basically spell-wise, it's Thoughtseize and Wild Slash and Fatal Push. And Wild Slash is actually has the same number of copies. So Fatal Push is very clearly a high-impact card in the format. Um, probably not going to change for the most part. Remember, we don't have Bolt, we don't have Path. So I think $5 FNM promos for a card that's going to end up probably in the top five spells played in Pioneer uh, is a good place to be. And even if they reprint Fatal Push in other sets, the FNM promo will still be the FNM promo. And you can look at things like Ancient Ziggurat to see kind of how that works. So um, I like the the long-term health of Fatal Push here just based on how much that card is going to get played in the format. When this card was first released or shortly thereafter within a few months i called it at 10 to go to 20 and it's dropped to five so, <clears throat> so clearly i was early um i was mostly buying russian promos at the time that i picked up at like 12 a piece or something that i like a lot now um this is a gr- my original pick uh clearly too early your pick now seems dead on um, between modern and pioneer requiring the card and this art actually looks fit this promo looks incredible in person like the foiling on it, it, like when you see how the art works with the foiling, you'll understand if you've never held one. Um, and I would want to own a playset if I didn't already have Russian ones. Um, so I like these at five for sure. Inventory is not super deep. And the between Pioneer and Modern, they, they, these should hollow out within the year. Yeah. And it should follow out within the year. And given the rate, some of our picks go uh, possibly by the end of next week. <laughs> I guess we'll see. The... Um, yeah. So my next pick is the other half of Arclight Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix is probably the better pick because it's mythic, but Thing in the Ice foils uh, have gotten down as low as 18 after being up to like 30, 40. I was selling some when Arclight Phoenix was doing really well in Modern with the loss of Faithless Looting that reversed course some, and there are some copies lying around in the 18 to $22 range. Uh, I see no reason why these don't get propped back up over 30, 30 to 35 within, say, six months uh, if Phoenix holds its position in pioneer and again if it gets back into position in modern as well um whatever card makes arclight phoenix thing in the ice good in pioneer probably makes it good in modern as well that's the thing um so if that piece of the puzzle ever drops the prospects get that much better thing in the ice is awesome this card is all over modern and arclight phoenix builds there and it's in every single Arclight build in Pioneer, it's also in several other strategies. It's just a useful creature. It does a lot of work that those decks need it to do. Um, I agree that the reprint risk is very low, so I, I'm on board. I have several of them myself, uh, and I wouldn't hate expanding my portfolio on those um, because I think that that's like a super safe card that's not never going to get banned. Uh, no matter what gets banned, it'll still be useful. Um, I mean, it just wants you to play spells and your opponents to play creatures, which is not a difficult combination to put together. I feel like that's going to be the case in Pioneer pretty much all the time. Um, so the longer, further we get out from Shadows over Innistrad, the, the better and better this is going to look too. If, if Mystery Boosters have a bunch of flip cards, this might show up, but it's not a particularly good draft, like cube draft card. And I think that's one of the things yeah. people need to be thinking about is that if that product is a meant to be a strong draft experience, there's a lot of cards that are disqualified just because they can't be properly supported. And that 
scenario. Perfect example being Etherworks Marvel. Like, there's no way that shows up in a draft product. Aetherworks Marvel would be very tough to put into a cube draft. Um, I do think Thing in the Ice is probably more printable because if it's a cube draft, it's a different environment than your normal limited environment. So you can have a heavier spell mix to support it. They could have a blue-red spells theme in draft and maybe you see it there. But it's also a flip card. So everything has to align for that to be the case. Yeah, that's true. Also, I I mean, I guess I'd point out that in... Mo- in pioneer and modern you want to be able to flip your thing in the ice regularly kind of like on command but in draft <clears throat> it's totally fine if you're playing like eight spells and you're just trying to flip your thing in the ice once because doing it once is the end of that limited game uh but anyways okay <clears throat> excuse me my second pick of the week uh even though we already talked about it up above is uh probably an- is inspiring vantage Although I would put this in Concealed Courtyard pretty much in the same bucket. All of the Kaladesh Fastlands have jumped. Blooming Marsh and Botanical Sanctum took off the hardest because, excuse me, those are the most obvious ones out of the gate. They're obviously the blue ones. Um, also, you have aside, blue red aside from being blue red and what that does. Um, Oko is all over the place putting a lot of pressure on botanical sanctum so inspiring vantage and also still courtyard have kind of fallen behind as being less important at the moment i don't think that's going to be the case forever i do think we're going to see a continued uptick on play on these especially because keep in mind pioneers a week old right like most people haven't actually gotten into the format yet uh you know if you play modern you might own these but probably not and if you haven't really been playing modern or even been keeping up you know if you decide to come you know if you were a legacy player who wasn't bothering with modern but you want to get involved in pioneer or whatever you might have to go get these uh and i foresee them rising especially in the face of any oko bans or any green card ban essentially that reduces the demand to play green blue uh so you know, these are probably the Kaladesh Fastlands are probably the best lands in the format at the moment. And I think that the play the play patterns have sort of validated that. And buying five dollar lands for the brand new format seems like a winning play for me. So I like the non-foils for like five fifty up to probably ten to twelve dollars. Um and the foils are also floating around at eight or nine bucks, which are probably also a really good pickup. I've I've been kind of picking little bits here and there where I have store credit. And kind of diversifying my fast land acquisitions at this point. The question is whether mystery boosters or something else will offer up the fast lands. Despite Forsyth saying that that product is not about Pioneer, the fast lands might fit just fine there. <laughs> you are, <laughs> you are so on that page. Well, what? And I, I don't what, think you're. I, what, I, I don't it, think we, you're we, wrong. Hold on, All hold of on. these picks. So let's let's review why quickly. There's. We know it's a draft product. They're boosters, and they're being they're being played at a limited event the first morning, the Thursday at Richmond. So it is a draft, mm-hmm. and why make it a mystery if it's not something other than a normal set? Like it's not like they just gave it a mystery thing, but they're revealing what the real wrappers look like. No, they're they're going to say mystery on them the whole time, and they're not putting out that set list. To me, that screams cube, because the. A small set, like a normal size set, you can't hide its size. You that, that's ridiculous. But if it's a five forty or uh, you know 
a bigger cube even than that, then hiding the set size makes sense because it's going to take some time for us to pin it down. Like we probably won't have the whole set pinned on day one. It might take us a week. <laughs> but, well, my, 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 my point wasn't that it's not going to be any of these things. It was just uh, everything we're talking about is with the understanding that we don't know what's in those packs yet. We have suspicions. We aren't sure. So I, I like carry forth, carry forth knowing that those are out there. I, I like selling some of my Kaladesh lands at 10, holding my Russians. One of the things that's interesting is that most of this stuff we know about so far that could be reprint risk is only reprint risk in English. Those mystery boosters are only going to be in English. So, and most of the events around them are only in North America. So <clears throat> that means that foreign versions of cards that are relevant in Pioneer are going to be very hard to come by because it's going to be a long time till they catch a reprint. The same thing that you had in Modern with Master Sets. If they're only printed in English and Japanese, then your Russian foils are always safe because they never catch a standard reprint that would be in Russian. Pioneer doubles up on that issue for cards that... Any card that crosses formats... For instance, most people have been talking about extended art Oko, but let's say Oko didn't catch any bans. Well, foil Russian Oko is going to be very, very expensive because it's playable everywhere and it's as rare or more rare. I haven't actually run the numbers on it yet, but it's way up there. Keep in mind, they print very little Russian product compared to anything else. Um, I think Korean might be the only thing that's printed even less. And... I don't know, maybe Italian or something like that, but nobody cares about Italian or Portuguese cards anyway, so um, not relevant from a finance perspective. Not even the Italians and Portuguese. <laughs> exactly. So the bottom line is that foreign versions of cards uh, are going to be, are a narrow market, but are going to be easier to move when you have more, more formats supporting them. Um, so I like, I like all the Kaladesh lands for as long as they don't catch a reprint. Because if they don't catch a reprint of the Mystery Boosters and no other product is announced for 2019 that could lead to a reprint, then they get better and better and better the longer that goes on. And these will be $20 to $25 by the end of Q1 2020, like the key ones. If it's Botanical Sanctum, Blooming Marsh, and uh, I guess the blue-white one that's most played is actually Glacial Fortress, right? Which is yeah, not part of not, not part of the Kaladesh cycle, but correct. Yeah, because you don't necessarily need your land. Well, no, that, no, I'm, I've got that wrong. Hallowed Fountain is the second most played card in the format based on the initial data dump. So, <coughs> but Glacial Fortress was number five. Um, Botanical Sanctum coming in at thirteen, and obviously that probably hinges strongly on Oko. So I, I, I like your pick. It's conditional on where the reprints come from. Uh, so. You know, we'll, we'll know more on the 7th. Okay, I'll accept it. Um, two more of my picks. Uh, first one is Niv-Mizzet Reborn Foils. This is a mythic out of war. Everything that's not a planeswalker out of war tends to be forgotten about. But these are drying up um, because Niv-Mizzet is a real deck with Bring Delight in Modern that keeps 5 owing and showing up in top 8s and hasn't made a big splash yet at t to challenge for Tier 1, but is clearly, like, at least a Tier 2 deck. Um and, and that's really what moves cards. And it's also a Pioneer deck. And if it's in both formats simultaneously, these foils are going to evaporate sooner rather than later. Getting in on them at like 15 or so and looking to get out 25 to 30 seems very reasonable. Um, 
And then the other card I'd call out... Uh, oh, the other thing is that Niv Visit Reborn is the second most popular commander out of War for EDH. So it's actually tri-format. Um, and people like to have their commanders in foil. <clears throat> Final pick of the week, Pack Rat foils out of RTR, 7 to 15. Black Devotion decks can are showing up that make use of four pack rats. Pack rat is extremely unlikely to show up in mystery boosters because it is a way overpowered card in draft. And I seriously doubt that it would be printed into any set that was designed to be primarily for limited. Um, and that makes me think that pack rat could dodge a reprint for quite some time. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I don't like, li- I don't, I don't like Nivm is it? But that's more personal than anything else. You've been biased on him <laughs> Just, since the first time we caught him in a 5-0 list. I have been. Uh, pack Rat. Hmm. I don't know. Like, I want to say that that doesn't have the chops for Modern or for Pioneer. Maybe it does. Keep, Maybe keep it in does. mind that the Mono Black lists get to run a bunch of Nasty Devotion stuff and Nykthos. And yeah. and they can use Nykthos to make more pack rats. And we're headed to Theros, where we're going to get more devotion, almost assuredly. And if, if Black even gets one or two sexy devotion cards, one of which could be a god, Black aggro could get that much better in Pioneer. I, I guess my take is not that pack rat isn't viable but i feel like if i'm spending money on pioneer i probably want to buy something else that's valid pack rat doesn't of course rat, the same could be said of like 90 percent of our 100 cards yeah the same could be said of 90 of 90 percent of what we talk about right it's like sure all these are choices but really there's like two or three cards that are always your best bets. i wouldn't be picking pack rat foils if the inventory was deep let's put it this way there's a steep ramp and relatively low inventory because RTR is the oldest set in Pioneer as a format. So Yeah, I guess this wasn't reprinted either. Nope. And and again, hmm. no way it's showing up in, in the mystery boosters. So it's not being played heavily in the format now, but there's also hardly any of these around. So if it turns out that the black uh, decks do want Pack Rat, then these will go fast. Now you could wait and keep your finger on the trigger and or focus like you said there are other targets so the the biggest argument against pack rat is why not pick something else from the hundred cards we know people are playing yeah and it like i said also is that could go be said of almost everything we talk about so like it's hardly a knock against pack rat like another thing you could go for would be say and i want to see how things shake out in standard first which is why this didn't make my list this week but if Oko gets banned in standard, but not Nisa who shakes the world. <coughs> Her foils at $10 are probably a buy. Um, yeah, I could see that. Strong commander card. It's showing it, up in all the mono green lists for Pioneer. Um, and it'll stay, it'll be a played in standard the entire time it's legal. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Alrighty then, let's move on over to segment three, our metagame week in review. This week, pretty much all about Pioneer, top to bottom. Um, first week of Pioneer results, they started rolling in on the weekend. Um, the first MTGO Pioneer Challenge is probably the first Pioneer tournament of significance to go down. That tournament was won by Sultai Control, uh, Oko making a splash in yet another format. 
This deck was running two Course of Crucifix, four Gilded Goose, four Jace Friends Prodigy, one Tireless Tracker, four Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy, two Dig Through Time, two Drown in the Lock, four Fatal Push, four Thoughtseize, three Liliana the Last Hope, three Oko, and two Vraska Golgari Queen. That looks like a very reasonable Sultai mid-range list with a lot of powerful proven cards in it that is going to be, you know, possibly weaker in the face of really strong combo influence on the format and you know if a few things end up getting banned along the way here in the next few months maybe this gets better and better yeah it's it's you know salt eye control takes two of the top eight shows up with one niche more copy in the top 18 uh so oko was around but it didn't seem like he really done well he was in the copycat builds too Ugh. Yeah, I, I think that Oko's going very likely going in standard on November eighteenth. Um, in fact, Wizards made a point of tweeting today that there would not be an or yesterday that there would not be an update before the Magic Pro, you know, the next Pro Tour. Uh, kind of like a yes, we all know you want Oko banned, but listen, we're not doing anything before the Pro Tour. Um, Pioneer, it's a little less certain, but it's certainly shaping up that Oko is probably going to get the axe here too. Um, a lot of pros, you know, Sam Black made a comment the other day on Twitter that like, is there anyone left who doesn't accept that Oko is the best Planeswalker ever made? Uh, which is kind of weird to say out loud since it's been like three weeks, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, what was it? That one weekend, or the, the, at the one point he like won and top aided in like every major form. It was like legacy. It was like vintage, modern, pioneer and standard, like all over the place. Every, that was this week. That was this weekend. weekend. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah. every. So, ooh, it had to be this week. Top eight, but. top aided or won every every major competitive format. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so there's a lot of Oko in this top eight as well, and I'm guessing he's probably going to go in Pioneer. That's at, at some point that could Pioneer. happen. Um, yeah. One of the problems is that if you get rid of, say, a very, say, there's a combo deck that arises, somebody figures out Etherworks Marvel. Um, or Jeskai Ascendancy, and they just start dominating four out of eight of every top eight for a little while. And they say, okay, yeah, we, we thought that might be bannable. Or Treasure Cruise would Dig Through Time are showing up in pretty much every list, and they start, people figure out how to make them three and four ofs, or some mechanic sets them off in six months. Whatever. The, the, the more super, super unfair stuff you, you knock out of the format, the better and better Ogo will get. Until eventually, he even if he's not too good right now, he could easily end up there because his his mm-hmm. value in the format as things get banned will outpace the growth of the format as it extends towards the power level of modern over time. Um, so I'd be very surprised if he survived a full year or two. Yeah, and I guess it's a real takeaway is even if he manages to dodge it in Pioneer in the next two months. The odds of him escaping 2020 in Pioneer is like close to zero. Because you're right, even if, if there happens to be really busted decks in Pioneer that don't involve Oko, that are so good that Wizards has to ban them, you're just bringing them the rest of the format closer to Oko being playable. And he negates yep. so many different strategies, like negates trying to get to the board to do things. Even if you're playing a combo deck, it's, you know, he's, he's pretty rough there. The interesting thing is if they do toss Oko out of Pioneer, uh, all of these other decks suddenly get a lot more interesting. Um, and it's possible that there are several decks that are way too good for Pioneer that are basically not playable with this much Oko, but as soon as he's gone, are going to skyrocket. Like, I kind of wonder if some of the, uh, 
like creature che- cheating creature in the play decks, like the Ilharg, you know, uh, what would I call it? Wilbur, the Wilbur decks. Like, oh yeah, you can play Wilbur, but like if you don't kill the, your opponent with Wilbur immediately, it's going to get Oko'd uh, and whatever you put in the play is getting Oko'd. But maybe once Oko is gone, it's like, wow, this deck that cheats creatures in the play is very good now that we don't have to worry about that. It's certainly worth trying to select your Pioneer deck, at least up front here, based on how few cards in it are likely to catch a ban. And then looking at whether your deck is still playable once that card is gone. So for instance, the Sultai Control build, both Oko and Dig Through Time have some chance of catching a ban at some point. Uh, the rest of the deck looks pretty pretty reasonable. Um, second place was Is It Arclight? Um, I called Arclight earlier for a reason. Um, people weren't really talking about this up front, but people have been. People thought, oh, there's no faith, faithless looting in Modern, and there's no faithless looting in Pioneer, so it's not going to be good enough. But people are running this with four Arclight Phoenix, two Merchant of the Veil, four Thing in the Ice, and then four Chart of Course, four Fiery Temper, four Is It Charm, two Lightning Axe, four Opt, two Strategic Planning, four Treasure Cruise, and four Wild Slash. I mean, that looks like. At minimum, a solid Arclight deck in a standard format. Whether it can it can keep pace with this format as it as it keeps getting refined and and get and matures, I'm not 100 percent sure. But I definitely like Arclight on this like three to six month horizon because it's one of the few cards I don't expect to catch a reprint anytime soon. Yep, uh, I, a card I don't expect to catch a reprint or a ban. Um, I, I wrote about this Monday in my article. I said it was probably a good, a good pickup at this point. Um, you know, I, and you'll have to excuse me if we repeat ourselves. This is the, the second time we recorded this bit. We had a technical snafu that kind of set us back here. So don't remember everything that we would have already said. Kind of hazy. But uh, basically, you know, as the format started, Arc Light and Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time actually weren't there the first couple days. Uh, but then somewhere around somewhere late in the week, it looked like people figured out those builds a little bit more and suddenly they were seeing a lot more play. But if, even if that's the case, it's not Arclight that's going to go, it's going to be treasure cruise or dig through time. Most likely they'll be the first candidates. Um, so I think that you're also very safe with those decks as well. And you know, if, if Arclight with four <clears throat> treasure cruises goes wild, and the treasure cruise ends up getting banned. That's a bummer, but probably just a temporary setback because wizards will continue to print spells that cost one mana, uh, and some of them will be blue and red. And eventually, the pieces will be there to fuel a, another arc light deck. Uh, so it it really only be a matter of time. One of one of the things I think is interesting about dig through time and treasure cruise is that. They're, they were on the probably might get banned list, I'm sure, internal to Wizards. So that dissuades them from reprinting them in things like the Mystery Boosters. Um, they also need like fairly specific formats with a lot of stuff in the graveyard for them to be useful in general. And if it turns out that in Pioneer they, are, they can be run consistently as twos and threes, but not as fours all the time like they used to be run because they don't have enough graveyard action to fuel... You know, you're going to get off your first treasure cruise or your first dig through time, but your deck can't support, has trouble with the second and a lot of trouble with the third copy mm-hmm. getting cast. It's interesting that in the Arclight build, because they get to discard cards, they care less. It's not that that deck is casting four treasure crews. It's that that deck expects to be able to discard a, a bonus treasure cruise if they can't do it the, the, the normal way. 
sure, it's got a little more filtering. Um, so the fourth copy isn't as dead yep. as it could so, be. So then the fourth place deck is a deck I've seen all over the place. People claiming 5-0s and somebody, I think, posted either a 9-1 or a 10-0 on Twitter. Um, Mono Blue Aggro. Uh, four Brazen Borrower, four Harbinger of the Tides, four Master of Waves, four Merfolk Trickster, four Siren Storm Tamer, four Tempest Shin, four Thassa, God of the Sea, four Quench, and four Smuggler's Copter with 20 Island and four Mutavolt. I mean, that is about as pure as a minor league disruptive blue aggro deck can get. Yeah, and I mean, we'll be honest here. This is a Smuggler's Copter deck first and a Merfolk deck second. Uh, I have a feeling that a Smuggler's Copter were to get banned, which I don't think it will at the moment, but if it were, I don't know if Merfolk is going to pull its weight beyond tier two. Um, But yeah, it seems fine enough. I don't know. I'm not really wild about it. I've never really been wild about Merfolk as well, a this strategy. Isn't, this isn't really isn't a Merfolk deck. This is like Mono Blue Aggro. This is the only Merfolk in here is Master of Waves and it's making elementals for the most part. There's a Merfolk Trickster and a Harbinger of the Tides, but they're not really there for Merfolk synergies. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. This is more Mono Blue Aggro than Merfolk. I was looking at that particular creature set. Yeah, alright, I'll give it to you. This is more Mono Blue Aggro than that, which is better than Merfolk. But probably still fringish seems too fair to me seems too fair in a format that right now is should be all about doing unfair things one of the ones i'm i'm interested in that i've seen elsewhere was the premise of master waves into risen reef where even if you only have like two blue pips like if master wave waves lands into a risen reef you only get two elementals, but both of those elementals trigger the Risen Reef because it doesn't care if the elementals are token or non-token. So you're getting, you know, two Reef triggers <clears throat> minimum. And if you've got other blue pips on the board, things get out of control in a hurry. And then <clears throat> I started wondering whether there's enough support, if not now, maybe down the road to loop Young Pyromancer into the mix. Because if you go Young Pyromancer, like some, you know, one drop uh, mana elf that matters Gilded Goose or whatever, into uh, Pyromancer and then into Risen Reef and then into Master Waves. Yeah, the Pyromancer didn't give you a blue pip, but it gave you extra elementals, um, you know, down the road when you're casting things that the Master Waves can beef up. So maybe you're running Grow Spirals and Lightning Strikes and Ops and whatever. Uh, wouldn't It probably doesn't take more than two or three more pieces for elementals to come together. That would that'll be a fascinating build. It'll be fun to see if that shows up. I think that that type of deck is probably much harder to build than some of these other ones, which I, is likely true of many strategies that have yet to evolve in Pioneer that we will come to see. As you've got certain decks like you know Energy, which is like okay, I have to come to the table with like these sixteen cards, basically minimum, maybe even twenty. So the deck starts out built, which means we're going to see it early on in the format. But there's other stuff that kind of doesn't really exist in Modern because the power level isn't quite high enough. Um, but will be good in Pioneer that's just going to take time for people to figure it out. So like Risen Reef, like a Risen Reef might be good enough, but we don't know what that build looks like. We don't really have a good comparison for it. The removal is so different. Like all the, the small spells are very different in Pioneer, which is a huge change. So 
it'll be fun to see how that stuff uh, evolves. And that's really going to reward people keeping their ear to the ground and watching closely as pros are posting lists and realizing that something is good because you might be able to catch the wave of something that's actually humongous if you're paying close attention to what's going on. Yeah, so to round out this top eight, we had two cop- two versions of copycat, which is the Sahili Rai uh, copycat combo, but also running copies of Oko in the mix there. Four Teferi Time Raveler, Oath of Nyssa, Heart of Kirin, Brazen Borrower, Elvish Mystic, the Felidar Guardians to go with the Sahili Rise, Gilded Goose, Llanowar Elves, Reflector Mage, Rogue Refiner. I mean, that's a dangerous set of standard cards all jammed together into a pretty, pretty tight looking list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's potent. That does a lot for you. And then rounding out the top eight was two more of the Is It Arc Lights. Um, and then I guess we take a brief dip into the first league results. Um, always have to point out that these league results are curated, so they don't really give you a sense of the percentages of the meta. Uh, well, there, there's one I want to catch before we go past that, which is there's a Devotion the Green hanging out in the, like, looks like 14th place. Um that strategy is looking pretty potent. I'm a big Nykthos fan. I played a bunch of mono green ramp with Genesis Wave back in Modern, and it was not good then, and I still played it. But this has been kind of showing up on the fringes, and you talked about Leyline of Abundance not that long ago um, as a possible payoff for this. And uh, we realized that you can do some pretty busted things. Like if you start with Leyline of Abundance, play a dork on turn one, and then turn two have a Burning Tree Emissary. So your the cards you had in your hand were Whatever land, Nykthos, Monodork, Burning Tree Emissary, uh, Leyline of Abundance, which doesn't sound too crazy if you're playing four plus copies of all those cards. You're making, I think we said six mana on turn two, which is which is nuts, right? That's a lot of mana. And keep in mind that Tron, modern Tron makes seven on turn three. Uh, so if you you know that that can probably reasonably hit four on turn two, um, three to four. And then you're hitting six and seven, maybe on turn three. Uh, that seems like it could be very potent. Um, yeah. So, so like if your first if your first turn is like forest elf, and your second turn is uh, Nykthos, tap elf, tap tap elf for two, play burning tree emissary. You're still floating. You still got three available plus the Nykthos. Then you could drop Nisa who shakes the world, and that's your that's your payoff. Your base then you can untap one of the lands and attack with it right away, and your forest tap for double mana from there on out. So your elves are tapping for double, your forests are tapping for double. It gets out of control in a hurry. Mm-hmm. You got you got to have the right removal spells at the right time. You got to create some kind of disruption and speed bump them, or they are just going to run you over. Yeah, so that'll be fun to keep an eye on. Uh, just just you know, I'm not I'm not saying there's anything to, anywhere to go with this at the moment, but I will say the Nykthos is appealing as a spec. The price has already jumped up to 18, but supply is still relatively low on that card. Um and Theros was a while ago now, and uh we know that Theros is the next set. Uh we know a lot more about Theros today than we did. Uh, but I don't expect that to have a Nykthos reprint. If anything, I would see like a changed version of Nykthos. Um, and, you know, if we don't see a reprint of Nykthos at all between the Mystery Boosters or Theros, the price on that card could hit 
30, even $35. You know, you figure the mana in this format is, is pretty rough right now. Uh, the mana bases themselves are very rough. So there's a real benefit to getting to play a monocolor deck like this where yep. you just don't care. Really? Okay, I'm going to slam a bunch of forests and four Nykthos and not have to worry about losing games because I missed land drops a couple times or made the wrong land drops, I should say. Yeah, and the thing here is that the pivot point for Nykthos, I think, is actually the Mystery Boosters, not Theros. Um, if it dodges in the Mystery Boosters, we should be good. Um, we're going to touch on the huge swath of Commander products that got unveiled for the next year, and that provides some amount of framing about when reprints are likely to land um, of certain types, uh, and also pulls pulls a necessity for printing those cards earlier in other products as well. Um, so we'll see how it all plays out. I think the specs that are most likely to get activated if this green deck keeps doing well uh, is if Oath of Nyssa dodges a reprint, that those foils are probably going to finally get there. Leyline of Abundance has room to grow for sure. I think I called it at one. It's at like two to two fifty now. I, th- I think it's probably a five to eight dollar card in short order. Um, not too far down the road. And then Nissa Who Shakes the World foils are probably a thing. And this this deck also runs four Sylvan Karyatid and four Walking Ballista, both of which I think could show up in Mystery Boosters. But if they don't, away you go. Yeah, the, those two I would say I would be more skeptical of. Maybe not Walking Ballista. That, you know, that's a proven card. Sylvan Karyatid it doesn't sound like the type of card I'm eager to play um, as a mono green player. So we'll have to wait and see where that goes. But uh, some cool stuff in there. Well, the important part about Karyatid is that it, it because it has hexproof, it doesn't it disrupts the disruption. So in a format that doesn't have really good early kill spells, it basically turns off fatal push on the on them getting a pip off the board, which means that your Nykthos is relevant faster, and yeah. they can't really do much about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the point of it. I also know having having played decks like this a lot that. It might just it, it might be one of those cards where, in the in your most busted draws, it's just it's the worst card in the grouping. And on the draws where you don't have a lot going on, or they're trying to break your combo up, it doesn't do enough for you. So rather than a win more card, it's like a lose more card, and you'd rather just have the slot with a more powerful card that might be more fragile, but you were going to lose the games where you were getting blown out anyways, and it actually helps you much more on the games where you're trying to win. I don't know for sure. It's been a while since I've done this. I just know that Karyatid in Mono Green is not something I would be eager to try out. It doesn't seem vital to the strategy in the way some of the other cards are. All right, so heading over to the league results. Um, first one to take a look at is that five-color Niv-Bizit Reborn is a thing in Pioneer just as it is in Modern, which is part of why I picked it uh, this week, because multi-format support plus Niv being one of the most important commanders, um, as I mentioned before, um, out of War of the Spark, uh, means that those foils should eventually drain out as foil mythics, um, especially given that it's usually played as a three-of in both the Pioneer and Modern builds. This uh, particular version was running the Sahili Rai Felidar Guardian combo alongside Niv Mizzet Reborn and a whole bunch of multicolor cards. Uh, it's a crazy mix uh, every time you see a Niv Mizzet list, so I'm never really sure what how optimized it is. I'm sure the people that are playing it uh, aren't sure yet either. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be a real tough one to figure out if you built correctly, uh, especially when you don't even know 
what the format looks like that you're trying to adopt adjust to, right? Like how do you, at least in modern, you kind of knew what your target was. This particular list looks like they're just trying a bunch of stuff out. Like they're running Silumgar's command. Yeah. Well, and the, and the tricky part is, is that like all of them look like that because you have to play cards of every color combination. Yep. So like some of them really are just like, well, I don't know what else to put here. So uh seems like a good a choice as any. Yeah. All right. So then we had uh, Numont the Nummy uh, getting in with the, the Wilbur build you were referring to. Ilhar the Razebore. Um and Champion of Ronas doing uh, a show-and-tell, and, or I guess a sneak attack impersonation. That's the 3-3 three, three for 4 green creature out of the Amonkhet block that uh, when it attacks, you get to put a creature from your hand onto the battlefield. They've also got Combustible Gear Hulks to drop in and a four, full 4 World Spine Worm. And they're running Rhythm of the Wild so that if they drop a worm, they can attack right away with it. Yeah, that's some some spicy juice right there. I think generator <laughs> serpent decks are going to be a thing. And, and I'll tell you, a fatal push looks pretty sad in your hand against a world spine worm. Yeah. <laughs> not only can you not kill the worm, but if you do kill the worm, they get five. They get three five five tokens, and one of them can be killed with a push, but not the other two. Yeah, the lack of an exile effect, uh, you know, a common exile effect is really going to make things quite a bit more challenging in a lot of ways. And it's going to make cards like World Spine Worm, which would otherwise be uh, just kind of like, oh, nice World Spine Worm. Well, here's my path to exile. So see ya. Uh, that's not going to happen anymore. Well, and some, uh, of the other con- some of the other control uh, MOs don't work either. Like, say you go to Fairy Time Raveler into Supreme Verdict on their turn. Well, you don't you don't really want a supreme verdict of world spine worm and get hit with fifteen the next turn anyway. Mm-hmm. The yeah, verdict doesn't exile. Nope. So it'll be fun to see and, how and the the removal suite changes what creatures are viable in that regard. Note that this deck is also running for Sylvan Carrion. Sure, I, I don't think the card's bad. I just don't love it in that particular strategy. I, I know I could you're be wrong. I could be wrong. I, I know you're also excited that they, this deck runs CD Unwritten. Since we're both holding copies, we would love to unload. Oh, that would be just the best. That was a long time ago. Missed spec. Uh, so having that having that payoff would just be would just be the bee's knees. There's various flavors of red decks. More mono green stuff in here. Here's a like, oh, fairly classic looking blue white deck. Two Narset Parter Avails, four Teferi Hero of Dominaria, four Teferi Time Raveler, two Jace Prince Prodigy, four Torrential Gear Hulk, Set Adrift, four Supreme Verdict, four Absorb, one Dig Through Time, two Hieroglyphic Illumination, Negate, four Opt, three Detention Sphere, and two Search for Azkanta. That is a list of proven control cards. Mm-hmm. The Blue White Control has a lot of very viable tools in Pioneer right now. I feel like they lost Path and like what else <laughs> like what else is not in blue white's toolbox that they want right now in modern it feels like not much because like, even the, the better counter spells that are available in modern were often strained in the sense that they would they could answer some decks and not others um, because they tend to be conditional in one way or another and so it's always tricky to find the right mix of those elements. And this deck not- notably only runs one negate and four absorb main. The absorbs are a nod to like heading off aggro decks while shutting down just about anything. 
Mm-hmm. I would love to see Absorb take off as the counterspell du jour in Pioneer because I have play set of Japanese foil ones. For, uh, I'm sorry, original Japanese foil Ooh, absorbs. Inv- invasion block ones. Yeah, so someone should make that card the real deal in Pioneer. Thank That's you. That's pretty hot. TIA. Um, there's also Jeskai Ascendancy builds with Emery Lurker of the Lock and Sylvan Awakening running around. Uh, it's not it, this. This scene. This is like deja vu all over again. People have always been trying to make Jeskai Ascendancy consistent enough to claim top eight slots on the regular, and it just has never quite gotten there. Always flares up, disappears, flares up, disappears. Nice that they have access to four Witching Well, um, which when it when it was first revealed, I didn't cl- uh, plug into the fact that it was an artifact. So that's a one blue artifact that scries for two and then later draws you two cards and <clears throat> gives you a bunch of artifact synergies um, here and elsewhere that yeah, are pretty useful. I didn't think too much of Witching Well when I saw it, but really it's a one mana artifact that has a reasonable effect when you cast it, uh, which it's probably going to get played just by virtue of that because one mana artifacts that do something that you care about are always end up being valuable somehow somebody wants those because they're probably doing something unfair with them and i also like just guy ascendancy in this format a lot more than i have in the than i did in modern even though i did like it in modern like i recognized it wasn't good after a while like everybody else did but now you have uh mox amber and uh, emery which is a very important combo because if you have emery ascendancy and two ambers that's it. That's a combo. You can now go infinite. Your emigre becomes infinitely large and you can loot through your whole deck. So whereas old Jeskai Ascendancy decks needed you to build the entire deck around the card, right? You were committing six, you know, 60 or 75 cards were based around the Jeskai Ascendancy combo. And it was a very kind of one note thing. Now you can take those 12 cards and put them into anything else. And just have that combo available to you while you're doing other things. So imagine a Jeskai Ascendancy deck that's playing Monastery Mentor and Young Pyromancer. Uh, and then nothing. So you have like four Emery, four Pyromancer, four Monastery Mentor, Jeskai Ascendancies, and then all the rest of your cards are spells. Well, now you're getting tons of tokens. You're getting all the value from the spells you cast. You're getting tons of tokens from your Pyromancer or your Mentor. And if you ever manage to find two Moxes, well, you probably have an art. You're going to have an army of creatures, some of which are infinitely large that turn. Like it seems like it's much more potent now. And that may or may not come to fruition in modern because, but it's because it's a very different format. But in Pioneer, it's, it's a different format so maybe it is good enough there i don't know I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes and i think if i were playing mod pioneer right now that's where i would might be tempted to start i'd be tempted to start a lot of places to be honest it's nice that a witching well into a just guy ascendancy is a loot and a scry too because <laughs> mm-hmm. it triggers off non-creature spells which is probably more yeah. important than it being an artifact really um it's a lot of selection I'm sure Witching Well is one of those cards that a variety of decks will play it for a variety. And each one of them will care about a slightly different part of card text on that card. But they'll well, all want some of it. When you get to stack those triggers too, right? Uh, which triggers? The scry right. and the is, loop? Is, is Ascendancy off cast? Yeah, it's yes. cast. So, okay, so you don't get to stack them. The You do the draw and discard first, then you scry too. But you're still... That sets up whatever the next... The scry sets up the next thing, like the if you're dropping a zero mana thing or whatever right after that, like Witching Well into Mox Amber. Yes. Make sure the Mox Amber finds what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, all right, so like we could go on. There's there's a Grixis list with, uh, <laughs> and we did go on yesterday. <laughs> yeah, we'll go a little for, le- less far this time. Ro- Royal Scions, Dreadhort, Arcanist, Jace, Rince, Prodigy, Thing in the Ice, Young Pyromancer, and a bunch of uh, Grixis control spells. Discard, <laughs> opt, and some kills. Um, there's red white aggro decks you got a mono black deck running around running like four castle Lockwain. um there's bant planeswalker builds out there there's uh it's a wide open format for now mm-hmm. so we'll check back in on that next week we got some other stuff we got to deal with here segment four well i just want to point out my my major takeaway from pioneer right now is the format looks very open yep. nothing that people were worried about seems to be coming to fruition um Pi, you know oko might be pushing it a little bit but marvel isn't running away with the format smuggler's copter isn't none of these cards people thought were going to be a problem are so far that doesn't mean they won't be but at least it's take, the fact that they haven't gotten there in a week is pretty reassuring the you know the first pro tour is essentially gonna if there's something out there that's just totally totally busted that's when they'll find it but it tells me that there's a lot of churn going on we don't know what's going to get banned at this point um and really the people who are listening closely to the pros and watching every day and seeing what lists are getting posted are going to be the ones who are going to be able to profit off of it and i think james and i are probably roughly in the same spot where we're you know the initial feeding frenzy is over and now we take a step back and watch and see how things come to come to bear in the next couple days and weeks before we start making you know another group of purchases now that we know that the mystery boosters are not dedicated to pioneer in my mind that means some of the stuff i'm holding is going to get caught by a reprint there but most of it will not so i haven't actually been in a rush to sell my gigantic five row i pulled together of pioneer stuff um, I, I don't even have my pioneer specs from you know 48 hours early intel in my hands yet that's all shipped shipping in from europe or was is landing with partners in the u.s and getting bounced to me i'm just talking about stuff that was already on hand other because it was failed specs or uh specs that were acquired for other reasons Mm -hmm. and you know normally i would be like yeah you got to sell into this hype cycle and that was certainly not wrong um for people to do that but i'm pretty okay with like if i have to wait a few weeks to sell some of this stuff I'm okay with it. The exceptions are the things that were expected to be amazing, but were actually only good in their format. You know, for instance, something like uh, Etherworks Marvel. The problem there was they didn't have the right answers in the format. But it turns out that's probably not going to get there. It doesn't look like it's tier one or tier two for Pioneer. So I buy listed the crap out of a bunch of Marvels and lost money on it happily because I lost way less money. <laughs> than when they were worth a dollar <laughs> so you know i don't know I, in, I, in, in some cases you got to be willing to just take to to not look the gift horse in the mouth and get out while the getting is good for other things like say your jace friends prodigies um extended art okos uh smuggler copters walking ballistas hardened scales stuff like that that i think is like not going to get banned out of the format well i mean oko is debatable but my my thesis on him is that he's not going to get banned out of every format so even if he catches it in standard and pioneer he still probably has three or four formats to lean on um, and the rarest versions of him will still be in demand because he'll be recognized as the best planeswalker of all time he's the new jace so there's some risk there 
but for some of this other stuff, I'm just happy to see how wait and see sell up the ramp as I have time to post the cards for sale. And I expect that patience will pay off for some of this stuff in a few months. Heading mm-hmm. into that pro tour, going to be a lot of excitement around Pioneer. And um, one of the things that developed today was a bunch of tournaments around the U.S., including a major Star City event, redesignated their events to Pioneer from Standard. So a bunch of sta- it's it's not modern that's experiencing a lot of pressure from Pioneer right now. It's Standard. Yeah, yeah. The 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 announcement of Pioneer around the same time that Oko just destroyed Standard really was very fortunate for Wizards. They kind of I they, there's no way they could have planned that in advance, but they got lucky with that uh, because if they had not just announced Pioneer, people would have a pretty bad taste in their mouth. All things considered. Uh, you know, standard was garbage and they just had normal modern to contend with. And it's possible Oko's busted in modern too. It's just nobody's trying it too hard right now. Well, this is the thing about the difference between, say, a format they tried to launch like Brawl that requires you to buy a bunch of standard cards and then play them in a different way. But most of what you're acquiring is meant to be new, which we predicted they would do. Like this, this whole concept that they want us buying new cards all the time is something we've talked about. And we weren't surprised by brawl um the idea of a format that is deliberately foreshortened but compare that to something like pioneer where because they went all the way back to rtr where there was where the population explosion of magic players started and therefore a lot of magic players have cards from that era some of a lot of the like more active players that have big collections can probably build a pioneer deck without needing to pick up too much Mm -hmm. And and that's a huge difference like Launching a format where I don't need to go spend a thousand, even if the decks are $800, I might already have $500 worth of those cards. Yeah, the fetch lines being banned is a big part of that because it means you aren't boxed out for having the wrong lands because uh, they're so much cheaper. You don't have to spend, you know, you, you know, Blooming Marshes and stuff like that are eight bucks a piece. They're not the 30, 40, 50, 60, 90 that fetches have been. Well, which means you, it, well if you play standard, modern, or EDH, you already have those lands. Yes, exactly. So not like you you if you've played Magic in the last several years, you probably have them because they weren't expensive enough to sell. Uh and even if you don't have them, they're not too bad to purchase. So it's it's really great for players that this is so accessible. Agreed. All right. So segment four, our topic of the week. Uh, wow. This, <laughs> a lot of, I feel like every day, uh, the leaks regarding Pioneer and the conversation regarding leaks in Magic has evolved. So what we're going to do here is we're going to talk a little bit about what happened with the Pioneer leak. And lucky for us, uh, we had recorded, well, <laughs> we had tried to record the segment last night. We lost it. We have to restart. But lo and behold, between the time, between last night and we're recording tonight on Thursday night, we got a big leak, uh, which gives us some, a, a valuable data Wednesday point Wednesday in the conversation. Uh, sorry, yes, Wednesday night. I am temporarily displaced. Uh, so let me give you guys a little bit of a a, a a chronological series of events here. Saturday afternoon, James messages our Discord and tells us that he's got this information about Pioneer. It's 
going to be returned to Ravnica forward and the fetches are banned and he's pretty confident about it. Um, we all discuss it. Not a lot of purchases. I don't believe a lot of purchasing happened. I can't speak for say for sure, but not not a lot of purchasing happened before the announcement. But we everyone figured out what they wanted if it that did happen. Like that was kind of the more important takeaway. I, like I, okay, I I mean I wish that was true. I mean for you some for some you, people definitely a lot of stuff? some people definitely stuck their pole in the ground and said I'm not comfortable. Partially because I was encouraging people right from the get-go. Like, part of the announcement, like, right there in the second sentence was, this is only 80% certain. There is lots of risk here. Play safe. Which is our usual disclaimer for, if you can't afford to lose money on being wrong about this stuff, then don't throw money don't at gamble. it. Yeah. And, and part of that is what we were talking about earlier. It's not just that the information might be wrong. It's that even if the information is right, don't assume you know what's going to be good in the format. Lots yeah. of people run out, ran out and bought Etherworks Marvel that weekend that are pro- may or may not get stuck with them, depending on how quickly they were able to unload them based on you know their position in the market. If you've got a very successful TCG store and you're TCG, TCG Direct um, and you got that inventory up lickety-split, then you're in a pretty good position. You probably sold them for a double up. But if you're a random Joe Blow living in Colorado and you have no outs to sell whatsoever except maybe Facebook, then you're probably still holding those marbles. Mm. Yeah, so I guess the, the point is we knew on Saturday afternoon. Some people bought, some people didn't. We had the information. So sometime early this week, I don't remember, I think it was Tuesday. No, it must, no, it must have been Monday. It must have been Monday. Matt posts a, the first video where he talks about the Pioneer Leaks. And the reason that he's talking about it is because he takes issue, in fact, with the way the community is addressing it. Because there was evidence provided by GoatBots, a major MTGO trader network, who said, hey, we started getting bought out of Return the Ravnica and Forward like two weeks ago. And it was very specifically Return the Ravnica and Forward, not Innistrad. So if you didn't know exactly what was going on with Pioneer, you would expect your buying to be distributed into Innistrad. This is very clearly somebody who knew what the deal was. Uh, so the information was available very early, like two weeks. These, it came out that there was a information about Pioneer had hit the Wizards event reporter, that the name of a format called Pioneer was out there. People knew about it, but it didn't tell you what set it started in or the fetches or that the fetches were banned. So when the discussion in the general community basically on reddit was like oh yeah people were buying two weeks because the wizards event reporter matt takes issue with that because it's like well hold on a second because this doesn't this actually doesn't explain away how people knew this and somehow he had gotten a quote from our he had gotten the the exact quote of james telling all of us about discord uh, telling all of us about Pioneer from our Discord. So, so Matt takes that quote from whomever provided it to him and puts it in the video unattributed because he had no idea who it came from or where it came from. He did not have any names at that time and said, some, you know, someone had this information. I don't know exactly when they had it. Let's discuss it a little bit. Generally, it was a fine video. And I will say that I have liked Sperling's content personally in the past. Like I like reading the sick of it articles. I've thought some of his discussions about cards were very fair. I think um, some of the stuff that he's written about politics while i don't necessarily agree with all of it it has at least been worth reading and thinking about um so i think he's he generally gives things a pretty well a well considered approach um and i thought the first video was generally in that same boat the 
you know, I, I did message him on Twitter. I said, the one thing that, you know, kind of stands out to me is you're calling <laughs> magic, you're calling magic finance people like myself, snake oil salesmen, which isn't really fair. And he was comparing us to stock market touters, which is, a, you know, uh, basically, like, you know, like the Jim Cramers of the world who go on television or wherever and, and say, oh, you should buy these stocks because with stock market, it's like, well, if you think we should be buying these stocks, why aren't you just buying them yourselves? Um, and it's kind of an apples to oranges when it comes to magic trading, because there's like a zillion reasons why buying and selling magic cards is not the same as stocks, uh, you know, liquidity, availability markets, all that stuff comes into play in a way that it doesn't in stocks. Uh, so there's a real reason why people like James and I can talk about picks of the week where it's not valid for us to be going and buying those cards for whatever reason. So, but overall it was fine. And James and I, oh, James, I believe you had the same experience with that first video is you didn't find it to be particularly offensive or upsetting in any capacity other than the fact that somebody had clearly gotten information that they shared information that we didn't want them to. Yeah, it was reported by our Discord pretty much as soon as it happened, um, as tends to be the case with most relevant MGG finance news. And my take to the Discord was this is a relatively even-handed approach, but I'm going to reach out to Matt because... You know, he may or may not know that this came from behind a paywall. And the part I was most uncomfortable with wasn't the content. Like, somewhere along the line here, Matt gets it in his head that my purpose in contacting him is that I want to silence him. Like, I'm trying to shut him down because I don't want people to know what we're up to. Whereas if he actually knew who the fuck I was and was had ever been paying attention for any amount of time, he would know that I'm the only, like, one of the only people in MGG Finance who never shuts up about like transparency and admitting to the no, fact you, that you, leaks you, exist. You, you didn't that, even have to finish that thought. You could have just <laughs> one of the guy, only guys in MTG finance who doesn't shut up. That's accurate. As somebody yeah. who records with you every week, that's very accurate. <laughs> True. So the, the, the odds that my beef with him was ever, you, you know, that he, that I'm upset that people know that we knew is wildly inaccurate because the kind of leak it was, I don't care that people know that we knew because I know that there's it's not illegal and it's not unethical. Um, so, and the kinds of ones that would be illegal or unethical, we don't engage in. And this is as good as time as any to r- review what our policies are because it matters to our pro traders, it matters to our listeners probably to have an understanding of our ethics even if they don't agree with them. Um, and maybe not everybody has heard this, pieced it together from things we've said on past episodes. Um, so to be clear, this is how MTG Price handles uh, Intel in general. If we see IP that seems to be stolen or leaked and constitutes a breach of contract that is readily identifiable. So if somebody sends me an actual picture of a card long in advance of when it's supposed to be out, if they send me actual marketing materials, if somebody sent me a, a PDF that came from you know somebody's computer at Wizards that had a set list or something months in advance, anything like that, we don't want that kind of trouble. And we don't need it to do well at MTG Finance. So we have a policy that A, you can't post that in the Discord. B, we won't post that in the Discord. And C, we will report it to Wizards just like they want us to. And the most recent example of that was when somebody sent me a picture of Nicol Bolas, uh, Dragon God, in like February, before anybody even really knew what War of the Spark was about, and tipped us off yeah. to that set being about Planeswalkers. So I sent that picture to Wizards and sent in my report, um, never heard back from them, 
and we never released that card. I told the Twitter and the Discord that I had seen a card prompting and and echoed it to wizards underscore magic or whatever to publicly declare that I had seen it, um, but also stated right away that I wouldn't share the card with anybody, which I didn't. Um, so that's how we handle that stuff. Now, on the other hand, if somebody, whether anonymous or not, comes at me with, I heard from my own sources that I don't want to name such and such, or I overheard a conversation somewhere, or I thought I caught a glimpse of something in a situation where I had no particular horse in the race. So, you know, somebody walking across the GP floor hears a couple wizard staff, or they're out at a bar nearby a main event, or they just hear from their buddy. Their buddy just tells them this is happening. And they don't know why their buddy knows that, but their buddy doesn't work for anybody relevant. The point being that most of the kind of intel we traffic in is second, third, fourth, fifth hand information. We never really know where it comes from. In fact, I don't, I, I don't, of maybe the 10 or 15 different pieces of really juicy intel I've heard over the last few years, I've never known the original source. And often there are leaks like the big Theros one last night that we never heard anything about. We didn't, we didn't, we had no idea the contents of that leak because it, you know, it's, it's one of two things. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, neither of which were ever on our radar. So Intel like that is fine to deal with because none of the people involved have any responsibilities to wizards. Now, you might be the kind of player that says, yeah, but for two reasons, I've got a problem with it. A, I don't want my uh, that set spoiled until the time is right because I like buy, buy fully into the, the timing of the wizard's hype cycle and I want to get excited with everybody else. I completely understand that. That is completely fair. And I'm not in the business of spoiling those things for other people. So for instance, when the Theros thing dropped last night, we didn't let people post it in our Discord. We told them they could discuss that that event was going on, but that we wanted to wait for an official response from Wizards. And I admitted on Twitter that that event was going on, but did not say a thing about the cards in question. Um, and I think that that's the correct way to be doing things. Yeah, I, I think generally that's accurate. Uh, but the the you know the IP stuff, we we really aren't interested in being involved with the legal troubles that, that can come with having direct access to IP or like seeing IP, you know, essentially card images like this is not worth the trouble, uh, especially because it's not necessary to have been successful in this realm. So well, it's that's, really well, not get, worth the trouble. <laughs> and well, let's, let's be clear where that trouble comes from. If Wizards thinks you are the first person to share something publicly, so yeah, you got those card images from somewhere else, but you're the first person to post to Reddit and you put your name at the bottom of that, you're going to catch a lifetime ban from the DCI. That's about the most they can do to you because you don't actually have any contacts with them and it's not illegal or anything for you to be posting found information, but they're going to wield the hammer they've got at hand. And that's happened to people in the past. So, and I don't play Magic all that often anymore, but it doesn't mean I want to carry a, catch a lifetime ban and not be able to walk onto the floor of a GP. Um, wouldn't be a huge deal, but you know, it's more trouble than I need for no reason. So you don't really want to go down that route. And the other alternatives, which seems like what Matt was insinuating I'm up to are things like bribing people to get information either from wizards or from one of their partners 
or having a having a frenzy like a very close relationship with somebody in in a situation that has access to that details where they are sharing it with me and maybe sharing in my profits or something and there's no way to ever prove this to anybody but the simple fact of the matter is we've never done that we never will do that there's no reason for any of those people to ever get into bed with me like that or anybody else on our team um it's just not worth it to them you know i i suspect that most information most leaks happen mostly accidentally at the top and then people get the further away from that initial problem you get the more loose-lipped people get because they have less at stake you know what i'm saying like somebody from wizards is not going to send me a picture of a card no but if they leave that document lying around somewhere where they shouldn't and someone else gets a look at it and snaps a picture with their cell phone they're, that person doesn't really have anything at stake. So if they can maintain their un- anonymity, they might just be excited to pass it around. And I suspect that that's the source of most of this kind of information, not just with magic, but with the consumer products industry in general. Oh, yeah. It's a huge thing. I mean, when was the last time a, an Apple product existed that wasn't leaked beforehand? It wasn't leaked, yeah. And, and there are so many different venues that it's so easy to see all of the different places that they could come from. You have the entire printing network. Um, so everyone working in the printer shop is seeing the magic cards and maybe all of the employees are on the hook to, you know, under strict NDAs, not to talk about what they see, blah, blah, blah. And maybe they're all really good about keeping up with it. Maybe, but uh, you know, people let their kids come into work sometimes or their brother comes to pick them up or like people wander in who aren't under NDA. And I mean, everyone who's ever worked Everyone who's ever had a job knows that people do stuff that they're not supposed to all the time um, without really contemplating the full consequences of it. And in that case, those full consequences might be letting people see private IP that's not supposed to be publicly available yet. Other possible venues might be the artists, for instance. Magic artists know um, information about future magic sets, planes, what have you, um, probably like two years in advance. Now, they're not going to know the exact mechanics on a card. Um, They're not going to have that level of information, but they will have set information. You know, they'll have general ideas, you know, returning planeswalkers or whatever. And for instance, knowing that you're going back to Theros if, if it's early 2018, or I'm sorry, if it's early 2019, and I know that we're going back to Theros in early 2020, I might start snagging cheap Nykthos cards, right? Or like just even just the set name or the set plane can matter, having that information. And again, the, the artist might not tell anybody, but if his friends come over to his house and see something or, you know, whatever, he has a couple drinks and mentions it and, you know, the friend doesn't do much about it, but then that friend mentions it to somebody else. It's just, it's so easy to draw that line of how you get to these scenarios. And for the most part, I'm obviously somebody's at fault, but it's, I would guess frequently not, not intentional. Yeah. Not intentional because there's nothing to be gained from the people in the initial spot. Uh, by sharing that information, it's just bad for them. I mean, all we've always had, all of us have had conversations in our life where we say to somebody, listen, I'm going to tell you, but don't tell anybody else. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. like the sixth time that's happened with that piece of news. The, yeah. and, but let's like Occam, apply Occam's razor, right? Wizards shares information with partners and vendors. They always have, they have to, that's how, that's how it works. When you're, when you're producing products that you're not actually responsible for selling directly for the most part, you need to give your vendors enough information to keep those their businesses healthy. 
So I'm not every LGS in America doesn't know what's coming down the pipe. In fact, I've I've discovered in talking to them over the years, they often have no idea. They're usually behind us. But bigger vendors definitely get information. You can't assume that SEG and Channel Fireball and whoever all the other big vendors around the world don't get a nod in the form of marketing heads up. Well, you know this. This is what's coming. This is what we're doing this year. These are some general themes. These are some products you can expect. We're going to be announcing them around these dates. Like that kind of thing would be completely normal, and it's very rarely talked about in public or acknowledged because it's the kind of thing that will automatically generate field ads and has no real upside to discuss. But it, it's true. And then you've you, then you're talking about a much broader network of people that have access to the information and that are aware enough about the products that they can start to fill in the blanks if the information was incomplete. The so the uh, this is going to feel like ancient history, but do you remember Newfrexia? Uh, new for and I, you might uh, and I, but I bet some of our listeners don't especially that was long enough ago that I bet a lot of people listening to this didn't play back then so new Phyrexia was one of the biggest leaks in it might be the biggest leak in magic's history honestly uh, at the time there was a thing called a god book and I'm actually not sure that they still use these I don't think they do but the god book uh, because this was back when print media still got spoilers um and did reviews and stuff like that the god book was a essentially a card image file of the entire set that was coming and they would send this you know the full spoiler set card images to magazines to give their their writers so the writers could write reviews and what have you um and so that they could get them out in time for publication well one guy got one of the writers and in fact it was uh Guillaume Matagnon I think or Waffle Top, I think it was Matignon, had a God book. And he gave it to a friend because he needed help doing the review. Like he wasn't able to keep up with, he couldn't get the whole set reviewed in time. So he gave it to a friend to help him. And then, which he should not have done, right? That was where the error lie. And then that friend got on ICQ, (laughs) and and that's real ancient. I believe it was ICQ. And- A a chat, a chat room, basically. Yeah, yeah, got goaded- basically said he had it people didn't believe him rightfully so and got goaded into just sharing the entire thing so right away uh the entire internet now has access to the entire new phyrexia set like weeks in advance now that was a major leak in magic's history but every set prior to that had a god book sent to magazine writers and there were no major leaks but do you think that for every set in Magic Stitcher where those God books were sent to people that nobody ever looked at it and went, huh, you know, based on the cards in this, this card is going to change in price. And if they didn't buy it themselves, they like got told their friends, their friend could go do it type of thing. Like these, these holes are all over the place. So it's just to, to think that we're out there bribing wizards employees or something is just insanity guy wish we had that much reach there's basically nobody no way to ever convince people that think i i would actually be engaged in this that i'm not because can't prove a negative but and of course i would not admit it if i was like nobody would but just think it through that's not really how things work in mtg finance most of what mtg finance is is about Analyzing formats, analyzing products, analyzing reprint schedules, taking a look at the metagame, figuring out which cards are cross-format superstars, and getting in on them at peak supply. 
getting yeah. out of them when their ROI is <clears throat> potential is lesser than some other new hot thing you can do. And right. Intel comes in handy when it shows up, but you can't rely on it because one of the things that's at least for us has always been that you never know when the Intel is going to come and you never know who it's going to come from. In this particular case, the Intel was anonymous in the in the sense that the person was passing it off via email and just said, I was such and such a place. I heard a couple of tidbits that I think are pretty solid and it sounds like something big is going down on Monday. And I ask the standard set of questions that we ask, which is like, are you, do you have a conflict? Like, are you a Wizards employee or a partner employee? Do you, do you have a legal problem here? And if so, we don't want to know anything. And Every single time I've ever asked that, they say no, because again, why would that be the kind of person that was contacting me? Most of the time, this is people that are excited because they heard something they're not supposed to, and they have no outlet for it, and so they they are bursting at the seams to pass it on, and they either want to impress or excite or feel like they have you know contributed in some unique way. Um, and it, and it's, that theme plays out again and again and again, but you never hear from the same person twice because they're never lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place. I think that that is very likely the impetus for a lot of people, which is I have come into information that I'm not supposed to have that's real juicy and I, I don't really know what to do with it, but sharing it with people makes me feel special, cool popular whatever and it's kind of thing thing, like this is a hobby that's very insular so it's the kind of thing where if you know it most of your friends family and maybe your spouse or or girlfriend boyfriend don't care right like you you can't share with anybody like like my partner i i could tell my partner the juiciest thing i've heard all year she would wouldn't even bat an eyelash and i and i think too that i you know i'm i'm kind of guessing here but i bet if you went back and looked at major information leaks in large industries that that's typically often a motivating factor for people um but okay so let's before there's there's a there's a logical conclusion to this but i want to back up just a little bit so matt puts out this video you know i give him a little bit of a little contact him briefly on twitter james you reach out to him and the contents of that discussion ended up in his second video uh, which was, uh, I mean, really, I can't think of any way to describe it other than a hatchet job. Um, you know, it, it, the best, most illuminating component of this is at, at the beginning of the video, he says, well, the guy who, who, who posted this message contacted me, the guy who the, the quote is from. I've already made up my mind, but I'll let you guys make up your own mind. Well, as he's saying this, a clown face is materializing over James. So, Spurling's telling everyone exactly what conclusion they're supposed to draw. And uh, another, I, I, I think, illuminating factor of this is that he could have made that entire video, but just kept James's identity um, hidden. Um, he could have chosen not to reveal the name and Twitter handle, which gives him the same ability to have the entire discussion about, you know, the person having contacted them and what what they thought and what Sperling thought of James comments and so forth, but without putting that individual uh, in the hot seat without, without subjecting them to fire. But, and by including the name, he's clearly seeking to essentially damage a reputation or make him look stupid, look, make him look personally stupid, which is, which is unfortunate. And I, I think below him and, and really not at all in the good faith that we're used that I have seen out of him in the past. Um, 
that that whole thing was a shit show. And I will say that, you know, after it happened, I did I did reach out to James and I said, uh, if nothing else, I think that your your decision to kind of insinuate to Matt that he shouldn't be sharing that quote was 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 probably not helpful, right, wrong, or indifferent. It was not winning you any uh, popularity points with him or anyone who was watching. So yeah, I, I cluster. It's not like di- we're I, on I, the same page about everything. I cluster my discussion with him by allowing him room to think that the conversation was about shutting him down when in fact I was openly approaching him to have a broader conversation. I assumed that he wrong, probably wrongly. So in retrospect that his main purpose was to get to the heart of not the pioneer thing in specific, but to talk more, to comment more broadly on leaks and magic. But as Ty, as my interaction with him went on, I realized how wrong I was. And it felt like he was really just taking a very sensationalist and narrow approach. Because I don't think he really has the top-down perspective. He hasn't spent the time thinking about this or interacting with this particular set of, you know, concepts and theories for as long as we have. And he was already coming into it with a tremendous amount of bias against MGG Finance in general. The assumption that whoever sent him that thing was telling him who the leaker was and that once i put my hand up i must be scrambling to try to hide that when if he'd spent a little more time with it he would have come around to realizing that that was ridiculous and i think honestly given some of the public response he saw supporting me and and some of how the timeline doesn't line up he has probably realized at this point that he was wrong but i doubt he's ever going to admit it the i i I don't think he thought I, I would be so I think you're giving him more credit than necessary. I don't think he intended for that at any point in time to be a good faith discussion. Yeah, well, I mean, that's part of what I'm saying with the bias. But the bottom line is this. The facts just don't align. First of all, we don't really deal in Magic Online buyouts. Like, oh, I'm going to go buy some cards on Intel. It's certainly not going to be on Magic Online these days. I did manage uh, Magic Online uh, portfolios back in, like, 2013, 14, 15, but I got out of it when they announced Arena. Um, or, like, when we found out there was another digital project coming down the track, because we assumed it would be a Hearthstone clone and not, and it was. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. the, you know, that's long since... And, and really, that's true for our entire Discord. We don't have a Magic Online spec uh, channel. Nobody really talks about Magic Online specs in there. There are a few members that are involved in that, but it's it's so on the fringes of what we're up to. And hey. And then the other thing is that if we had been the source of the leaks, we would have been telling our Discord much earlier. Because I don't sit on information for long periods of time and then release it. I generally try to flip it in 24 hours or less. Like I can either vet it to the point where we're satisfied to release it conditionally, usually with these are the caveats and this is what we know and don't know for sure. Um, Most of it is usually don't know for sure, but here's how it hangs together because we don't want to be in a position where we're accused of hoarding that informational information for personal gain. While I am perfectly fine to buy smugglers copters on that news myself on Saturday afternoon, I want to pass it out to at least our membership. I used to want to pass it to everybody and would just announce it on Twitter. But then I got so much pushback on the spoiling things for people that liked surprises that I just said, okay, well, fuck it. Like if if there's that much anti-MTG finance sentiment and 
this isn't doing me any favors, fine, I'll just tell the intended audience that I know cares about the information. You know, say la vie. Mm-hmm. I, so, I looking... I, so, I, I just want to get this on record. We So... Saturday afternoon, you posted the your your initial reveal in Discord. Yeah, where did the information come from? Like, what did you? So you're sitting at your desk on I assume it was like Friday or Saturday night or Saturday morning or Friday night or whatever, and like you get a notification somewhere. What is the notification? Who's it from? And what does it say? Don't know who it's from because they don't they don't have no interest in. They know that they've got hot information and they have no interest in telling me. So, so be- when you say you don't know who it's from, you mean like it's a, 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 it's, it's a, not a blank Bob- Twitter handle or something. It's it's not a it's it's a social media name that I didn't bother to run down. Like that that I'm not going to follow up on or try to track down. That was click click through anonymous via you know, the the little icon for their symbol or whatever it was nothing I recognized. It's not a name like the user name is not something i've ever seen before did i and i don't ask for names in those situations all i care about is if you have a conflict so we do that we do that little dance they're like no 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 like this is like third or fourth hand like i heard it from overheard it in this situation where i have no no horse in the game whatsoever but what do you think like do you think this could be real if so it's probably it sounded like it was going down on monday and it included what we announced that it was rtr forward fetches were banned name is pioneer and um oh and they that they thought the standard ban list was going to be upheld so that was the part of it that they were totally wrong about and when i heard it i actually thought that pioneer was likely wrong but the but the standard ban list being upheld i actually thought was totally possible that they might just say for the safety of the format we're going to keep these things banned and just let you know let's see what kind of format we get in that situation i didn't i would never have predicted even when i was told like if i was told that the format would be um here's 20 cards we banned in the past maybe they're not bannable this time Let's just find out because I would just assume that the feel bads from people buying cards that they might not be able to use for very long would not be the kind of corporate position wizards would want to take. As it turns out, they decided that was totally fine, which was surprising to me. Um, But, you know, that's how in the end we got to 80% because when I get any kind of rumor like that and I get like at least two or three a month. You know, somebody just contacted me tonight that I've never talked to before that said, I think these eight cards are getting reprinted and said, I don't have any inside information or anything, but I've been tracking stats on these, blah, 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 blah. And it looks like vendors are being cautious around them. So I suspect the vendors know something about these cards, um, which was, you know, <laughs> is, is, is one of the more usual things where it's like, okay, like maybe i'll spend the two or three hours to try to verify that but probably not but in most cases i'll just ping around my network and say have you heard anything about this pioneer format which in this case already had a basis for discussion because of pioneer being released on the tournament event reporter software the the week before it had already been echoed all over the place and our discord had already talked about that particular data point and you and i had already been talking about modern getting a successor format for over a year so while I didn't predict that it was going to happen this fall, I think that feels early and still does feel early. 
um, I, we did expect it to be coming. So we were looking for like ready and expectant for clues in this direction. So it wasn't a big deal to go out to people and say, well, what do you know about this? The feedback Wait. was the feedback was, well, turn it. Yeah, it was in the tournament tournament event reporter. So maybe there's yeah. a, maybe there's a format. And, and that's an angle, too, that I think probably gets uh, might get lost. And I want to highlight is that there will be something that's made public. That like the fact that Pioneer showed up in the in the WER information, but and then you might get something in secret or you'll get you'll get a whisper from somebody that says, hey, I heard there's going to be a new format. It's called Pioneer, blah, blah, blah. And you go, "Okay, sure, whatever. And then a week later, you know, Pioneer's in the WER reporter. And you're like, "Okay." So this guy might actually have been right. Like we didn't really take him seriously at the time, but now that you're telling us this, like this, this, this information has become public lines up with something else I already heard in secret. Now I have much more of a reason to believe you. So that and, kind and, of comes up as well. And then the final piece of the puzzle in my research before releasing to the discord was checking some prices. Like if you want to figure out if people know something, see if prices are moving. And indeed, some inventory on some things that seemed obvious seemed to be on the move. Like major stock decreases were showing up on magic card market in Europe. So there was people in Europe that clearly knew. And magic online prices were moving. Not something I check every day anymore. But if I'm in this situation where I'm trying to figure run this a lead down, I will. And I didn't see like massive movement, but it, it was clear that other people might at minimum be responding to pioneer being in the event reporter and and yeah, the, so and keep in mind that once that happened we were all over it like we 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 clocked it we just didn't have anything to follow it up with until four or five days later the people in the frontier community were all about it because you know <laughs> the the last bastions of defense for frontier people running like frontier podcasts and stuff have been on this on this tip for a long time, waiting for everybody else to come around talking about how they love their format and whatever. So, you know, they, they would certainly have long since been stockpiling stuff for this and would be all too eager to imagine that this new format that might exist in the tournament reporter would be for them. Yeah. So, and so I think it's key here to highlight that a lot of the times it's not just the leak that, or someone with information that gets us on the trail, but it's like piecing together several pieces of information along with our general intuition is how we kind of arrive at these calls. Like would that message have been enough to get you or I to act? No, but it, you know, when you start lining up all these various components in conjunction with the fact that we already, I feel like are pretty, pretty good as far as outside observers go at, like estimating future moves, you know, wide swath moves by wizards. Um, and also our intuition for like what sounds correct, which is much harder to put a, a frame on. But like when James initially messaged me and said, new format, it's called Pioneer, return the Ravnica forward, the fetches are banned. I'm like, all of that sounds correct. Like there are some leaks and some that are rumors that are like, that doesn't sound like a real thing. Like or, sometimes you look at a, you look at a fake card on Reddit and you're like, that's been trying to be passed off as a leak. And you're like, nothing, something about this card doesn't sit right with me. And other stuff you look at and you go, that's real. 
I that's real and it is like it just comes from having played the game a million years so it's not just seeing card images that you can key whether real or not it's this news sounds real or not and all of this leads in so, so whatever Matt posted those videos I guess we just wanted to talk about it a little bit but what he was trying to hammer on really was that James was making shit up when he said that he didn't have a primary source or whatever. And he was really trying to cast a lot of doubt over the 80% thing. And why would it be 80%? That's such a weird number to pick. And where did you get it from? And I think you knew a lot more than you, a lot more confidently than you were willing to admit. And you were just trying to pretend like you didn't know. And where are you getting this information? We don't know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Like we all well, know this is nonsense. Well, well here's, the, here's the thing. I'm not a, I'm not offended that people will ask the question. And I will keep wasting my breath debating MTG finance topics for as long as I have the energy. <laughs> so so long as so long as people are respectful. But but the keep in mind that Matt threw a lot of accusations with literally zero proof. Like my, for for a lawyer who should have a pretty high standard of proof an extremely low standard of proof was applied here. He got a quote from our Discord that said that we had the information. I readily agreed that we did. <laughs> and that's all he knows. Like, there, there's he has nothing beyond that. So for him to be pointing fingers and, and, and suggesting to others the nature of the source, the persistence of the source, the nature of the relationship with the source, how long I've talked to the source what exactly they told me, when, etc. He doesn't know. He has no idea. And nobody told him. <laughs> like, well, yeah, he's, and he's, he's, he, it's, it's kind of like, if, if you're looking for a serial killer and a guy walks around the corner with a bloody axe, that guy becomes the serial killer. Because your brain is ready for that person to put up their hand. And if, and, and it's almost better if six people run, walk around the corner with axes because then there's some confusion. You're not 100% sure whether it fits into your model of expectation. It, it's it, Matt's not a stupid guy. For, for whatever you want to say, he's no. not a dumb person. No. So the fact that he was harping so much on this without having sort of a valid or, you know, a better set of proof just sort of calls into question the intent behind all of it anyways. So... So the point of this was wait, can I, the point of this was to prove that to, to very much cast doubt on what James knew and when he knew it and blah 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 whatever that was like Tuesday no 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 I take that back because I'm realizing now I had this discussion with my friends at dinner on Friday night yeah dinner at Friday night my friends were like one of my friends was like yeah you should be like on your podcast you should like talk about uh how you guys god what do you say like how you guys don't get this information in advance and explain it i'm like this will be the fifth time we've talked about it on <laughs> cast actually uh we have had this conversation a couple times because it comes up frequently the, but the the, the 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 most key point that i was trying to advance in engaging with matt which i which was the premise of which was that i would i offered if he took down all he had to do was like take down the screenshot of our stuff i don't want to set a precedent for people uh, stealing stuff from behind our paywall and posting it. The timeliness of the, inf the specific information was not at issue, nor did I think that the information in question was copywritten. You know what I'm saying? Like, that wasn't the, that wasn't the thing. I just don't want... I, I wasn't sure if he knew that the stuff that he had posted was from behind a paywall, because I would assume 
that as a fellow content creator, he would respect that. Turns out, he seems to think that if he's exposing something, he doesn't need to respect that. I haven't consulted legal counsel, so I'm, I, I will not take that any further. And I admitted the same to him at a certain point in our conversation. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I don't think that he was under any obligation, but I, whatever, I'm not a lawyer either, so it's not worth debating. Where, where this gets funny is <laughs> we record this segment in some capacity. We didn't finish it last night. We have this, all, this whole discussion last night. We lose it. Okay, fine. We'll record it again Thursday, Wednesday night. Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday morning. <laughs> Early, early third Wednesday morning, a humongous Theros leak occurs. Well, it's, it's last night after you went to bed. Yeah, well, so Wednesday morning. Today's Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah, so early, early Wednesday morning, late Tuesday night, this massive Theros leak occurs uh, with something like 20 card images. And we'll get into the contents of the cards maybe next week. Today, we're just referencing the fact that it was leaked, which is just such a perfect example of like how this there's so many venues and avenues for which this information can be leaked because in this case the story goes that some guy's friend wandered into a Walgreens in Morrisville, North Carolina and found five or six Theros packs on the shelf. Bought them, brought them home, cracked them, told his friend, sent his friend the photos of the cards, and that friend then posted them all on Reddit. And he, you know, I, I haven't checked up minute to minute, but he was kind of answering questions about it and, and what have you. Um, so it's just like, there's, <laughs> you go from Matt getting so angry and casting so much suspicion that James had all this inside information. And then 20, 24 hours, 48 hours later, we're like, dude, somebody at Walgreens put six Theros packs on the shelf four months early like this stuff comes from everywhere all over the place every single set we knew you and i knew absolutely nothing in there right like i woke up and i was reading those cards with everybody else and i'm sure you were too like we don't know what any of those those cards were um so it's just kind of like do you see how easily this happens and where it all comes from do you really think that we need to be you know that there's some grand conspiracy with us and wizards and it's not just people being sloppy someplace what one of the first filters i run any rumor through is how many other people already know because we don't like we have five thousand followers for this podcast we have low single digit thousands pro traders we have several hundred people in our active in our discord we are small potatoes in the grand scheme of the supposed 20 million people that are interested in magic the gathering so and we're not I, I'm very well connected, much better connected than somebody like a Matt Nass probably realizes because of where I sit in the network um, at, at the inner uh, at the intersection of everybody from backpack speculators to vendors to um, people that are uh, are game designers and the fact that I ran Shelf Life for several years and that that's a whole collectibles platform that had international partnerships with various manufacturers, retailers, etc. I know a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. I talk to at least 200 to 250 people in this industry a week. So it's, and, and because of my profile, never shutting up about MCG finance, when somebody has news like that, I am one of the kind of people you would go to. So like somebody like a Saffron Olive or a Chaz Andres might be your first pick, but and they probably do get all sorts of shit thrown at them from left field. But don't be surprised when it lands in my lap. And more to the point, 
it's a big complex industry and like any other consumer products industry there's various forms and types of leaks all the time every product the whole cycle because it's so hard to to pin it down wizards would love to to protect their hype cycle but the reality is they're doing record-breaking business in 2019 and this kind of stuff doesn't matter that much you know like the the super engaged players get often get to make a choice as to whether to engage with this content or not like this theros leak of the the guy opening the packs and posting pictures of the cards is up on reddit and you can choose to go look at it or not it's up to you and people like me have for the most part not posted these images anywhere we again with this leak we didn't let our members post them last night somebody tried we we deleted them and said no um because we don't we don't didn't have a chance to verify any of that we didn't know a whether it was real b whether it was legal so it's one of those situations where we we've seen something that we're we're sure is not just hearsay or innuendo it is definitely uh stuff that's out there before it's supposed to be and i want to make sure it's not stolen so we we tell the the discord they can talk about it but they can't post the images we want to see what the official response is like from wizards and then we start to gather information to the best of our ability and one of the things that I think people need to be aware of without getting too tinfoil hatty is that, you know, I've been running an agency for 20 years. Guerrilla marketing is a real thing. I have in the past suspected that Wizards leaks things infrequently. Like, I don't think most of the stuff that goes on has anything to do with their direct decisions. But there are certain times where it makes sense to drop some cool shit in people's laps ahead of the normal hype cycle to distract them from other things. And... Right now, with the Oko being Broco and Standard, is not that crazy an idea that they they would have dropped these packs off. And it's I'm open-minded about it. It's also possible, and I don't have evidence either way yet, that some some something in the distribution system really got fucked up and these packs arrived in a Walgreens in North Carolina months early. The problem with that theory is, A, I haven't seen a receipt yet. B, there's not actually about that. B, there, there's not actually any reason for that person to be hiding their identity in this particular case if that's really what happened because it's not they're not responsible if the product's in the store and they bought it everything about that is legal like wizards doesn't want them out there too bad wizards can't ban them or anything for that that's that's on wizards if it gets into the distribution pipeline i i will say that if i'm the guy who got those cards i'm doing it anonymously oh if like, I, uh, can you imagine if I had walked into my, my local whatever, well, we don't have Walgreens in Canada, but up here it's called Shoppers Drug Mart. If I walked into my Shoppers Drug Mart and there was some fucking Theros packs, I probably just would have walked on by this particular you, you, week because there's no way I want to be in the wake of the stuff with Pioneer, be the guy that puts up his hand and goes, oh, I just, I just found some Theros packs in public. You would have messaged me and been like, I need you to pick a friend yeah. who lives in America who you can give these photos to and tell them that he found them yep. in Walgreens because neither, like, no one will believe you or I. So we have to get this out to a third party. I, would ne- I wouldn't have touched it with a 10-foot pole. So <laughs> it, would feel, it would feel like Sperling drove up here and put the, got the packs from a friend at, at Wizards and put them in the store by my house to fuck with me. Yeah. I would have been and, that suspicious. And I think it's worth rem- pointing out too that like we we think about like the the competitive magic players is like the in touch crowd, they're the cool people, like you know, the they're the most 
on track with magic and blah, 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 whatever. But really the people who are going to have the like advanced information, the knowledge isn't the players, it's the distribution, people involved in the distribution chain and the production of the game. Like nobody, no professional player is in a position where they would naturally come across information yeah, way I, in advance. I'm not sure I 100% like, agree with that. The, it depends but, but I mean, like, on, on their relationships. The, the, since Wizards started hiring pros into the fold and doing that very actively, it means that there are way more people on the inside that have strong connections but, to major communities on the outside. But, and that, and, that, I, and that doesn't mean that they are the, what, they're the source of the leaks. It just means that you have additional opportunities for somebody to be out with a beer with their friend who's on the outside and be like, heh, 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 wait till you see this card we designed for Theros. Oh, th- that definitely happens. My What I'm saying is like, it's very easy to see those very public faces and forget how many thousands of people are involved on like the distribution. In the shadows the, that you never see. The, yeah. Yeah. The business side of things that players don't know the names of. And even if we told you the names of them, you wouldn't know them. And I don't even know a lot of them. And I'm sure you don't know all of them either. Nope. That actually know a ton of stuff because of like they need to because this is a business and that's how businesses function. Um, and like we said, like even Apple without for all their effort can't keep this stuff clamped down. So, so it's no surprise and wizards can't manage it. So let's talk about why I'm suspicious about this Theros thing. It Most of these kind of stores would probably be using a just-in-time inventory management system, which means that they get their inventory kind of exactly when they need it. Because a Walgreens doesn't have a big warehouse. It's not like a Home Depot. Like, I guess a Home Depot is a bad example. They don't have any warehouse. Um, it's not like a... I don't know. What's an old-school department store in the U.S.? Like a Saks or whatever, where they have a back room with a bunch of extra stock. Like... They a Walgreens is going to have a very minimal backup of inventory on site at any given time. Very weird for any amount of magic product to show up months in advance. Now, could is Theros Beyond Death probably printed already? Yes, I would say it is. I've always said that it's like four to six months in advance, probably. So that those packs could be in the same factory together. And is it possible that some Theros packs made it into a box of other packs? Yeah, I guess so. But aren't, aren't the packs at a Walgreens usually in those cardboard things that hang on a peg? Uh, they are special products or they're like uh, special packs. They're not exactly the pack that you would buy at your car- local card store. Right. And, then, and you, open the, are, card- you well, open the cardboard part and then inside is the interior wrapper as per normal, right? I believe so. Yes. But it is. So it is at, on the hook. It is a different product than you're used to buying in your local store. Because which which could be the reason that they ended up there. If you accept that it's not grill marketing, like this is a slightly different distribution than you know the packs that your store gets, so that's where it's right. kind of coming from. So because where the, where the air could the, have originated. The reason I ask is we haven't seen pictures of the receipt and we haven't seen pictures of the exterior packaging. If you show me the exterior packaging, I'm going to or the receipt, I'm going to believe you to a, a much greater degree because. The exterior packaging would only would be the way that they would send it. If he doesn't, if he can't produce exterior packaging, then loose packs don't get sent to Walgreens. As far as I know, uh, loose packs. What do you mean? Like just a pack without the exterior? 
without the plastic wrap? No, no, no. I'm talking. Let's back up the truck. When I've, whenever I've been in the U.S. and gone to Walgreens, Target, Walmart, they don't have loose packs. They have packs with a with a cardboard exterior that has a a, a peg hole at the top so that they yes. can peg them. Yes. So yes, what I'm saying that is, say- t- that so is what typically I'm, how. So what sold. I'm saying is, in the photos that leaked, they showed the wrappers for Theros Beyond Death, but they didn't show the exterior packaging that would have gone on that if he bought that at a Walgreens. Mm. Now, so. I, I, okay, so he showed the the blister pack, but he didn't show the cardboard that would have hung hanger. on the shelf. Yeah, that's so that's tough because I think that well, because how yeah, else how very, else did he get them at a Walgreens? Well, so very frequently I would expect to see them in that way, but I couldn't say with a hundred percent certainty that that's how they're always packaged. So, so that's worth running down right? because sometimes they'll put them, for instance, in a very generic like two pack blister pack like it's 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 like a cardboard backing with a with that you know that plastic cover over the top that holds two boosters but it's generic like it's not specifically like theros it's just but, sort of like a magic gathering but that's thing. not what he said the report on reddit well, was that he found five packs in a walgreens yeah and the fact that it's an odd number also calls that in the question like so I, I agree. It's it's it's. I'm trying to come up with like how that could happen, but I agree that it's it's a little shady. So so anyway, a guerrilla marketing tactic could be drop off some packs in some locations and distract people. Now they also had a huge commander announcement today, and I feel like the community's pretty stoked about Pioneer. So you could make the argument they don't they're not actually that worried about lame duck standard right now. Much less so this year. They have reason to be than any other year. And that, that counters some of the like suspicion that you might cast against wizards. But in the end, the point is leaks have always been present in magic. They will always be present in magic. And if you choose to ignore the MTG finance part of the metagame, that's your prerogative. But you can't expect everybody else to do the same. And you have to operate within the magic environment knowing that that's going on. And make your decisions accordingly. Yeah. You know, like if you think there, if, if you, you and I are talking six months ago about how there's going to be a replacement for modern, not because we knew for a fact it would, but because it made sense, you know, and you don't want to be leaning on leaks down the road because you're not a pro trader or whatever. You, you're just a listener of the podcast who's mildly interested in protecting your collection. Then maybe you want to get ahead of the curve there. Like, maybe you want to buy Jace Friend's Prodigy when he's at an all-time low. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I feel like it's just important. I, I keep coming back to just keep Occam's Razor in mind, right? Like, it, do you really think that someone's at Wizards is endangering their job and their livelihood, their career, all of that to send James or I card images or whisper stuff to us? Or do you think... Somebody is friends with somebody who saw something they weren't supposed to and it flowed through the channel and, you know, it kind of got distributed in that capacity. Um, I it just, it just seems so much more straightforward that way. It's and, less dramatic. And, and, but and I, keep in mind, there is, there is some kinds of information that we do get directly from sources that other people don't have access to that might also piss people off. Like I talk to a lot of vendors, so I, I have a much better idea about how well sets are selling. Or how much, uh, how big a set a print run is, or when print. I, I usually hear earlier than other people when print runs end. Um, 
And that kind of information that is not normally privy to the public, when I have an opportunity to share it, I do. Like we, we write articles, we talk about it on the podcast, we distribute it in the Discord, I tweet about it. You know, I I don't see MTG Finance as a zero-sum game. Like the we can help educate Magic players that this is an inevitable part of playing Magic the Gathering, that you have to manage the expense of the game at minimum, even if you don't feel like you have any desire to make money on the game and overall have a better experience. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's a lot of discussion. Um, So I think we'll call it there. I know we have a lot. Largely preaching to the choir, I'm sure. Yeah, and I this is now something like the sixth time we've had this conversation. I'm positive it won't be the last time, but whatever. Maybe someone maybe someone who saw your handle on that video will bother to listen this week and go, oh, I see. And then they'll go post on Reddit, and all of Reddit will suddenly understand. And then maybe <laughs> well, they'll turn that website off, it, and then it, no it, one will ever have to go there again. It, it's also not clear that I really need to be involved in MTG Finance anymore, because apparently some guy bet me his house. Uh, on YouTube in the comments for Matt's video and lost uh, quite badly. So I'm just going to go pick up the deed to his house and then that should won't need to waste my time with cardboard anymore. That's a pretty good ROI. He, I he, saw... he, he said, I bet I bet Chilcott didn't even have a dentist appointment that day. Habitual liar. In fact, I'll bet you my house he didn't have a dentist appointment that day. Yeah. Because in the middle of my conversation with Matt, I was in the middle of my work day and I had to run out to go to the dentist, which was an appointment I had forgotten before coming back to put my daughter down for her nap before her mother went to work. And I absolutely had a dentist appointment that day and had the emails and receipts to prove it. So I'm just, I just need the guy to get back to me so I can go get his house. Well, there you go. I mean, now then you can take the whole year off. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw a great tweet the other day that was uh capitalism in 2019 is visiting four websites every day and hating every single one of them and (laughs) i feel like that is uh really accurate but all right it is very late i very much have to go to bed where can our listeners we we do have one thing we want to touch on which we will dive do a deep dive on next week next week's topic Uh, will be the commander announcements from this week um massive product reveal today nothing to do with all the other stuff Wizards putting their flag in the in the ground and saying Commander is a very important format to us. We know it's a very important f- format to you. And following through on what you and I predicted ages ago would be the case, a tremendous shift in focus towards additional Commander products. We predicted that there would be Commander products multiple times per year. Here we go. They're doing it. We're getting um, uh, Commander decks are not coming out in the fall they're coming out in the spring and there's going to be five of them instead of four and it's going to be uh put out in tune with Acoria. so i'm assuming that's late april early may and then there's going to be more commander decks um that are put out uh two of them that are put out with zendikar and then at the end of the year there's going to be a commander legends product that is going to have a slew of reprints as well as 71 new commanders. Yeah, and the key the key part of this um, is, if we're taking two seconds to talk about it, two seconds. The key part of this I don't think is the 
increase to like the seven commander decks every year or whatever, that's not really a big deal. Um, aside from the fact that it puts more, a couple more commanders in people's hands and generates, um, a couple more opportunities. The really big thing here is the commander's legends, which is just commander's masters. Uh, I wonder if they're feeling a little annoyed that they got rid of the master's name and then printed the shit. And now they have to call it something other than commander's masters, but that's the big deal because now they have this venue for printing foils. They said there's a foil in every pack. So. All of those foil staples that we have leaned, I have especially leaned very hard on, are no longer safe the way that they were. Some of them. Um, some of the, yeah, you're right. There's a lot more discussion to be had there. But like for me, that's the really big takeaway is, okay, now the game is changing a little bit. And we need to understand what that's going to mean. And that's what we can get into next week. We're not doing that right now. Yeah. But just so our listeners know, that's the one thing that matters here, I think. Yeah. Cap things off. There's a fourth product. In the summer, they're replacing the Planeswalker spellbooks, which never got a full cycle, (laughs) with a commander spellbook, essentially, that's going to be green. So it's going to be a bunch of green staples reprinted. And I think they said that there's going to be two versions, a non-foil and a foil version. So they're basically just going to say, do you want to pay this much or more? I would guess yeah, it's going to be like 50 and 90, like 99 or something. Yeah. And my understanding is that the foil version will only be available to premium stores and the non-foil version will be available to like both stores. So basically if your store is big enough, it will get foil green spell books, but if it's not, it'll get non-foil ones. Well, and the funny thing here is that like as much as that, that, particular spell book is going to be a threat to a bunch of green foils you may or may not have them in your spec box like stuff like uh like what's a like a bloom tender i sold out of those ages ago and i don't buy them when they've been high for so long so bloom tender a reprint like that's just going to be a buying opportunity because i'll i'll get track down some of the foil spell books i'm sure some european vendor will dump a hundred of them in our lap yeah, that's definitely the going to be the silver lining to our, you know, essentially bulletproof foils is, okay, well, foils aren't as safe as they used to be, but there's now a lot of cards I can buy that I that I might be able to buy that I couldn't before because I haven't bought a Bloom Tender and Oracle Maldai in years because why the hell would I? They haven't been a good choice. The price has been too high, but now this is going to give them a chance to come crashing down. Because of this new, you know, the the venue and they're going to be reprinted. But that just means that they're not getting less popular. So now we're going to have an opportunity to go buy them uh, that we haven't had in years at this point. All right. So we can cap things there. I think our $25 gift certificate winner from Cool Stuff Inc. is Bozerg hanging out in the Pro Trader Discord. Uh, go forth and conquer spending lots of money at Cool Stuff Inc., so that they will continue to give us those lovely prizes. I could have used that. <laughs> could have used that. Um, all right, James, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me online at MTG Critic, on Twitter, as well as uh, my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. And I am constantly haunting the MTG Price Discord, telling everybody everything that's going to happen in Magic's future that with knowing what wizards are going to do before they do it's, it's nice to know um and i am travis allen i'm on twitter at wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n i write every monday doing the mtg price uh watchtower series on mtg price god it is late uh yeah twitter here 
article. There we go. All the all the various locales. All the good stuff. All right. So this is. Oh wait, hold on. Uh, once again, no wait. I would like to remind our listeners to check out mtgprice.com pro trader service for just seventy nine ninety a month or seventy nine ninety nine per year. <laughs> seventy nine a month or seventy nine ninety a month. Year. You can get early access to the podcast, this podcast, uh, where we can complain yet again about leaks. Uh, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will make better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Our podcast mtg fast finance is probably sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of wait you already did this one did or did you not use the promo code finance five during checkout oh you did do that one you told people to use that no you give the credit wow wow i don't even know anymore once again mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in magic the gathering singles sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Midnight hits and it's like, that's it. <laughs> it's 12.01, 12 o'clock hit. And I was like, that's it. We're done. Uh, all right. This is a really good episode. All four times we sat down to record it. Uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. And I will see you next week to talk about all the other news that we didn't have time to get to this week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Uh, okay, so we're we're offline now, right? Let me tell you about this really hot tip that I got from Aaron Forsyth the other day via direct message. Um, it's really good. These suckers, these suckers don't know what's going on in the real shadowy cabal. Oh shit, are we still on? <laughs>